Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the UC Architects, the world's best exchange and link podcast, recorded on Saturday, March the 9th, 2013. I'm your host, Exchange MVP Steve Goodman, and this week I'm joined by Michelle DeRoy, Exchange Architect and Blogger, Justin Morris, Link MVP, Sir Cam Varoglu, Exchange MVP, New co-host Tim Harrington, Link MVP and Link MCM. Stolly Hansen, Link MVP. And of course, John Cook, Exchange MCM and Link Architect. First up today, let's talk to Michelle. You're up first. Um, how's things going? It's been a while since we've spoke. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm, I've been good, uh, Steve. I've been busy lately. Um, currently we're in an exchange uh, detanglement uh, project. So uh, been very busy with that at the moment. And also with uh, yeah community work, but you know more about it than uh, So what have you been doing in the community? Uh, doing some scraps, basically. Yeah. Uh, Which you're going to talk to us more about today? Yeah. Uh, Hope so. Yeah. And anything else? Any any sessions to speak about? Uh, no, nothing to add at the moment. Nothing to add at the moment. Okay. And Justin, welcome back. Hey, um, thanks a lot, Steve. Uh, so you've been missing out on going to the Link Conference while uh, your colleagues uh, and fellow uh, Link MVPs have been away. Uh, so has it been a, an interesting few weeks for you apart from that? Uh, yeah, I um, uh, go to Cuba at my girlfriend's sister's wedding, which uh, I know it's such a bad thing, but um, that was great fun and the weather was fantastic. And uh, it's an interesting country to visit, uh, but then I've been back into my uh, ongoing Link project, which is um, the biggest Link voice deployment in the UK, and uh, it's been ongoing since uh, January last year. So we're coming up been 15 month uh, milestone on that one. It's uh, reaching full steam right now, so it's um, it's good being involved in that one. Can Can you say exactly how big that is in rough terms? Uh, it's in the reaching 20,000 seats. Wow, that's big then. So that that's the reason why the company you work for is is one of the biggest uh, Microsoft partners for Link in the world then. Yeah, I mean, we have a pretty uh, wide wide portfolio of, of customers both across Europe. Um, yeah, so we're proud of who we work with. Uh, so uh, did you go to the uh, the UC Expo the other day? Uh, I unfortunately didn't because um, I had some pressing issues I needed to address um, at the particular customer. I was um, scheduled in to present a uh, service 13 mobility with Adam Jacobs and uh, co uh contributor to the podcast, Tom Bothnot, but I uh, had to sort of bail out, unfortunately. Did that go well for them? Yeah, um, all reports, uh, the demos that we did uh, that were offered by Microsoft all went really well. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, I saw a picture on Twitter he posted of him up there doing mobility. Look, look, look good. Sir Can, how's it going? It's been a few weeks since we last met. Oh, yeah. yeah it was well. nice. Yes. Yeah, well, we haven't talked for a while now. No, no. And uh, you were off with your Turkish MVP buddies as well at the MVP <laughs> summit. So we didn't get to, to see as much of you as we hoped. Uh, but it was really good to finally meet you. Yeah, I think we will have more opportunities really soon <laughs> to meet again. Oh, cool. Uh, is, is there some news there uh, yeah. that you want to reveal uh, well, yet? It was... A <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that till another podcast then. Uh, so, how, how's things in sunny Bermuda? Uh, yeah, it was a busy few weeks since we last talked. Uh, I'm still working on a few exchange and link projects and a couple more coming in short term. 
in the meantime, this week uh, we released the uh, exchange reporting tool for the community, Exchange Reports, which I will be giving more information in this podcast. Yes, it's a very impressive tool. Uh, and Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's been uh, talked about by quite a few people as well. I've seen it uh, blogged around by some, some big uh, names out there as well. Uh, so who was it that uh, wrote about your tool? Uh, Tony, Tony Redmond. Redmond. Yeah. yeah. That, Who's no. that? <laughs> Tony Redmond. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, he's, so if he's impressed, then we all should be impressed. Yeah, it's definitely congratulations. Yeah. It's not an impressive tool yet. We are we just started doing it. Like, well, we've been working on it for a couple of months now, but we just released it. And what we want is actually for everyone to test it and give feedback so we can improve it and come into a point where it will be helpful for everyone. So it's a project for everyone, not just for us. So yeah. we are eager for the feedbacks. And as you might well, this going this is gonna sound a bit weird, but weather is not very good in Bermuda for the last <laughs> few <laughs> few days. <laughs> so we are mostly stuck in the office or at home working on this. By not good yeah, you mean it's, it's a bit windy and rainy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's gonna get better in next week, so yeah, we're waiting for it. And Tim, hello. Hey guys, how's it going? Tim Harrington, so Link MVP uh, and first time on the show. Uh, so you got Pat very drunk uh, by the sounds of things, and uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what you're talking about. <laughs> Does he? What conference? <laughs> So uh, you are our newest contributor to the show, and uh, and you're going to be talking uh, a lot about Link uh, as we go into the show, especially talking uh, with Starley and John about the Link conference as well. Uh, so uh, why did you want to be on this on the podcast? Oh man, I'm just big fans of you guys. You know, you guys are like rock stars, and <laughs> oh, I just had to be a part of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's funny when you guys started this on uh, the Twitterverse uh, a while back. Uh, I was actually offline during that week, and I, I was mad at myself for missing out on that opportunity. So I bugged Pat enough to uh, say, "Hey, let me. Uh, you guys got an extra spot?" And he said, "Well, let me bring it up to the guys." and here I am, so hopefully I can uh, help you guys out and contribute a little bit more to the community. I said hell no, but Pat doesn't listen to me, so luckily for you. Your, your vote didn't count, apparently. <laughs> no, it never does. So uh, if people don't know who you are, uh, then uh, he, let's, uh, let's hear a l- little bit about your history. Because I, I first uh, became aware of you through the, the TechNet forums uh, as someone that answered pretty much every question that came up. Uh, that might have been before you were an MVP of maybe two or three years ago. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been doing consulting for uh, almost 15 years now. Um, for uh, my primary background experience is really in Active Directory and Exchange, and then I started doing OCS deployments in 2007. So from 2007 on, you know, there wasn't enough OCS work to keep a man busy. So I was really juggling between OCS and Exchange projects, and yes, I did. I was a uh, forum hound for quite a while and ended up getting an MVP award in Exchange, and then um, recently uh, got switched over to Link MVP award. 
basically the last uh, two years of my consulting life has been 100% link. So the exchange skills are getting uh, very rusty very quickly. Um, but, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> but man, I love I love link so much that it, it's not bothering me at all. So um, also last year, uh, like John and I know from LinkConf, the MCMs to, don't get uh, too much love. So I also got my link MCM last year as well. Um, so that's really what I'm doing. I'm, I've been trying to stay on the TechNet forums, uh, but my TechNet contributions and uh, blogging contributions are starting to go quite a bit down, not on purpose, but just because of the tremendous amount of uh, link work and, and opportunities out there that are keeping me busy. So yeah, I think that's, that's the hardest thing, that... blogging and working at the same time. Exactly. Well, that's the thing with the forums. I mean, they're certainly useful and stuff, but I think people now want to get more direct and 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 quicker answers. And that's, so I kind of use Twitter for that in a lot more ways than I do. The board seems like okay. I post something. How long is it going to be? You know, until I get a response. Whereas on Twitter, I might get a response like in seconds. You know. Well, I, yes. I don't think I've ever asked a question. I have no patience though, so that's you know, that's part of me. <laughs> I don't think I've, I've asked many questions in the forums. Um, it's it's more sort of trying to save people from themselves. Uh, well, the the first reason, yeah, the first reason why I started. Now I really started in the forums just to kind of increase my own knowledge. I know that sounds a little nerdy, but no, I mean, it's the best is, best way to learn a product, right? See what other true. people are running up into and try to figure it out for them. Yeah. So yeah, I learned a tremendous amount from that because you got people asking questions, and if you don't know the answer, so well, I, I will try it in my lab and uh, find out what the actual answer is, and that's what I did for a. a a long while uh, when I was answering forum questions uh, and yeah you, you learn a lot from that because then you know a year later you'll come across something and you're like ah I know the answer to that yeah and, and I think they're interesting too because it's also a good place to not necessarily to find an answer but it's to find, to find like you know other things that people have tried even if you're having the same problem but you're not finding the answer to that problem but it's like you know alright so somebody tried this okay I'll check that somebody tried this I'll check that and you know helping it to narrow it down you know is useful too yeah and I just, I just find it's like really good to just help people out that like sometimes like you know guys like us you know with we're sort of working with it every single day, but then some people get on and they go, oh, you know, my audio isn't working across my Edge server. And, you know, it's just like a simple thing for us, but they're just like, oh, well, you know, you fixed everything for me. And so I think that's really satisfying. <laughs> yes. Uh, another thing I like is uh, when my colleagues uh, say, oh, I found the answer to it uh, on the TechNet forums, and uh, it was you that answered the question. <laughs> uh, or or what's even worse is when you're having the problem, you search for it, and you find your own answer. <laughs> yes. The, yes. The more you blog, the more you blog, the more you write, and the more you post answers on, on things, you'll come across and think you'll search for it, and your face will just come up on all the bloody answers. Uh, and I bet that's worse for no one uh, more than it is for Paul Cunningham, uh, because you search for anything about Exchange, and his face will pop up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's making big money on his website, too, through ads, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's almost a, a running joke that... Uh, that his face comes up on everything you search for for exchange and uh, one of my colleagues again so Paul found the answer for me again <laughs> sends me a screenshot of his Google at least he's smiling real big while he's giving you the answer right? <laughs> yeah hey, look at that guy Australians leading the way in the community <laughs> well yes you're, you're in the future anyway uh, <laughs> so Paul actually was going to be on the podcast um, but yeah I was hoping he was going to it sucks like he was not going to be here 
Yeah, I was I was hoping he'd look at uh, our spreadsheet that we have on the screen here and go, it's not Saturday, <laughs> uh, but it, it still is for everyone on the podcast. Uh, so sadly, he had to drop out. So hopefully he'll be on the, the next podcast uh, because he really wanted to, to talk about a, uh, a few things. And uh, he's been a part of the group from the start as well. Uh, and because of the time difference, uh, it's now uh, ten, 5 to 7 in the morning on a Sunday Uh for him, uh, so it's not the the best time to get a beer, sit down, and do a podcast. Uh, but he was going to get up at six o'clock in the morning to join us. Uh, so uh, we'll see you next time, Paul. Uh, and it would have been really good to have you on. Uh, yeah, cause, totally. Yeah, because I, I met him at the the MVP summit, and he's an absolutely top guy. Uh, so. So, yes, and I'm sure Tim will be too. So thank you very much uh, for joining us as another contributor. Uh, our first new contributor since the beginning. Uh, so you really must have got Pat drunk because every time I've suggested someone, <laughs> Pat's went, no more contributors, no more contributors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh, it... it when we haven't had everybody on to the podcast, it's hard to bring new people in because we've not even had Paul on. Andrew's only been on once as well, I think. And uh, you, you don't want to just keep on adding more and more people until everyone's had a chance to, to have a go. Uh, so Paul will be on the next one. And again, thank you to, to Tim for joining our merry bunch. Stole. Hello. How's things? Yeah, good. Uh, so what have you been up to apart from a getting down uh with john and tim yeah uh had a blast at the the lincoln uh, of course and uh later i've been working with a couple of small projects deploying enterprise voice yeah uh, one of them uh are heli hansen which was also featured on the closing keynote uh at the lincoln so that's uh, quite cool oh cool so um right now i'm actually deploying a proof of concept environment for my company uh, with link and exchange and all the all, all the cool Microsoft stuff we could put in there. So um, yeah, that's what I do right now. <laughs> so is that uh, SharePoint as well? SharePoint, um, yeah, deployment, uh, system center, everything. Everything. Uh, I'm not doing everything though. We are we are a couple of people though. Is that, gonna, is that a, a greenfield standalone environment that's going to run alongside uh, the, the normal stuff, or are you planning on migrating it or no, migrating it's, uh, to it? No, it's a pure demo environment, so yeah. just oh, okay. uh, greenfield uh, deployment with uh, all the juicy stuff. Yeah, so that's going to keep you busy for a long while then. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, and John, welcome back. Hello. Why, thank you. It's uh, yes. good to be Well, I was here. I was on the last one, too. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back as always, and good to talk to some of you, some of you guys I haven't talked to in a while. And again, I could definitely um, say welcome to to Tim and thanks for joining the the, the group. I've um, been working on uh, a large scale uh, link environment, um, and actually, who, who announced a couple weeks ago that they're pretty much going all link voice? Um, so it's a two hundred thousand person company. How many seats will be voice? It still remains to be seen, but uh, it's kind of a huge win for link voice and, and that kind of scale so it's going to be interesting to you know be part of that also recovering from link now <laughs> <laughs> slowly <Yes>. but surely <laughs> did uh did you learn that much is your head still hurting <laughs> or was it the beer uh well yeah this, we, there definitely was a lot of good sessions i think we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit but um i i i, I was more focused on definitely on there for the 
let's just say, you know, let's call it networking, right? But, uh, but yeah, again, I was more, it was more of a social thing for me. I just, you know, meeting people, seeing people, you know, kind of being around there. And again, the first of its kind for that product is also was kind of a cool buzz, you know, and it was a smaller venue than, uh, than, than Mac was. So it, it felt real, like, you know, as I say, colloquial is a nerdy term, but I mean, it, it just felt like it was a really cool, cool show. Well, uh, as we're mentioning, we may as well move into our first story of the day, which is the Link Conference Roundup. Uh, so, uh, Tim... I guess I kind of started that, didn't I? <laughs> yes, you did. A segue. <laughs> yes, a bit of a segue. Segue. <laughs> so, uh, Tim uh, was going to uh, be our first host on it. Uh, so, yeah, let, let's hear from you guys about uh, how it was. Yeah, sure. So, uh, LinkConf, if everybody doesn't know, it was a couple weeks ago. It was in San Diego. We happened to just be there in the worst weather week of San Diego, I think, for the whole year. So it was like 50 degrees uh, most of the week. But, you know, nevertheless, we were right on the beach. It was a fantastic location. Um, so no, nothing but praise uh, to Microsoft for picking that location and pulling that off. Um, yeah, there's a hotel Del Coronado, right? <laughs> that's right. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was, like John was saying, it was, it was a great mix of people. I mean, it was partners, it was customers, it was consultants. I mean, it was just a perfect combination of all those people. And then as well as a, a good representation from Microsoft itself. I think during the keynote they uh, announced that there was about 40 MVPs in attendance. So obviously uh, the MVP summit uh, conflicted with the Link Conference. So I think most of the Link MVPs didn't really have a choice but to go to the Link Conference. But I think that's where all the action was and where everybody wanted to be anyway. And for John, I'll throw out a little MCM love. Uh, there were they didn't give a lot of love uh, during the no. keynote or the sessions to MCMs, but now I ran into pro, at least a couple dozen at the conference, so it was it was nice oh, yeah. to uh, share experiences with the, those guys because you feel like once you get through MCM, you've been through uh, been through the ringer and you can you can relate pretty well. So, um, but yeah, it was just it was just a great great group, great feeling. Um, the sponsors, the exhibit halls, the session, everything was top notch. There was really something for everybody, uh, 100-level sessions to 400-level sessions. So whatever you wanted to go hear about, go see, uh, and of course, involving Link, you could you could definitely do that. Um, and the venue had several bars, which is good. <clears throat> so the Skype Lounge was great. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about the Skype Lounge uh, if you want to. <laughs> the Skype Lounge, what is, what, what is that? Is that free beer in the Skype Lounge? Uh, yeah, there was there were some free uh, beverages in the uh, Skype lounge all week. So it was a, what they used the Skype lounge for was really uh, demonstrating some a few of the products. But after every session, the speakers for that session, instead of hanging around at the session, they would go down the Skype lounge and uh, people could follow them and have you know pretty intimate one on one type conversations with the speakers. So uh, it was it was a great setup in, in that way. Yeah, and yeah, and to the MCM thing, it was cool for me. Some of the speakers in some of the sessions were actually in my rotation, so it's kind of cool to see people that you know gone through the program and now work for Microsoft and now are, are speaking at these things. That's it's kind of that's kind of exciting for me too. Um, and I met a bunch of guys in my rotation there too, which was neat. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, the, 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 I just to echo to you know what Tim was saying. I mean, I, I think that the, the venue was was awesome. Um, certainly, location was great. Um, I just kind of wish if, it, if I only had one criticism, one more day. I think of classes would have been good because there was just so many classes I missed because you know you're in one and you can only they didn't replay them. So you know it's like yeah, if I had to pick this one versus this one, there's nothing you know you can't make a you can't make any other choices. So yeah, that that was one, my big hit as well. I mean, I was kind of there with John just to network and meet people, uh, you know, meet the community and talk with people. But the sessions, I mean, there were just way too many good sessions conflicting with each other but you know on the flip side microsoft did a fantastic job as far as getting the recordings out to the uh, website you know within two days so even if you miss a session or uh, didn't feel like you could make it to a session uh, because of other vendor meetings or what whatnot you could easily uh, hit that recording even on your way home uh, on the flight so it was that quick quickly posted yeah, I really loved uh, seeing the sessions on um, uh, on the flight home. Uh, really great to kill time. So had a 11-hour flight home, so <laughs> that helped a lot. Yeah, you probably got to watch the whole conference on your way. Home. <laughs> <laughs> All so, the sessions I missed, and and you're right, it was a lot of good sessions that were in in the same place, but uh, in the t- same time slot. But uh, at the same time, uh, it was quite varied between customer sessions and light sessions and really f- level 400 sessions. So uh, yeah, I think yeah. it was really some really good sessions there. And uh, as you said, with the MCM, uh, both trainers and attendees presenting, it was good for us that uh, haven't attended the MCM to um, meet those guys as well. Yeah, yeah it's nice that Microsoft sent out their heavy hitters, you know, to actually give the presentations, you know, the product group group guys that are in charge of these different pieces of link were the ones given the uh, sessions. So, I mean, there was no no stops full there. Yeah, it, yeah, was, so- it, it was so jam-packed that even the uh, the after, you know, the, the, the event, like, parties were all backed up in terms of, you know, there was on Tuesday night there was three parties and you were like, had to pick one, one of the three to go to, you know. It's like, which one are you going to go to? I don't know. I'll go to the, I'll go to the booze cruise. Yeah, and, and it was really good. We got to, got to meet. Uh, I got to hang out with a lot of MCMs and uh, MEPs and uh, and the community at large. So uh, really liked uh, the setting uh, for the Link Conference. Good mix, as you said, uh, Tim. Yeah. But there were some uh, pretty good announcements that came out of the Link Conf. You know, the kind of the big takeaways were Skype. It was all about Skype. It was all about mobility, um, and then. You know, something I wasn't really expecting. I, I kind of knew the Skype and the mobility stuff was coming down the pipe, but something I wasn't expecting was the new Link Room systems and getting to see those yeah. and actually play that with was those. Just, that was uh, those, me, yeah. yeah, those are some. Those are really nice systems that are coming out now. Microsoft really has a a decent solution to start competing with uh, some of these room systems that they've had a hole in their product with. Yeah, I uh, love the room systems. Really look forward to uh, play with those when they come out. So and for those uh, who who don't know what yeah, the room systems say. are, the, it's uh, like it's like a two uh, 60, 60 inch uh, touch screens with uh, uh, one from Crestrum was there, and uh, you have a touch panel that controls the the room, uh, and you could have. Um, Meeting room collaborations uh, with uh, yeah uh, quite a big screens and uh, and good for collaboration. Yeah, I, I agreed. I mean, and, and we're talking about yeah to, to kind of go further. Like so, in these room systems, you know, on, on people are not familiar. There's there's these. Uh, 
high-end, extremely high-end uh, room systems, like say companies like Cisco make, where it's like the telepresence concept, where you're, you know, you're, everything's designed to kind of make it really seem like you're in the room together. So these these units are kind of built in with multiple screens and multiple high-def cameras, and even the seating is designed, um, and the audio acoustics and the lighting are designed so that 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 another room on the other side of that in another location. It seems like it's the other half of a shared boardroom. And, you know, these things are really neat. And there's a lot of technology and stuff involved in them, but they're extremely expensive. And, you know, the target audience uh, is typically, you know, C-level people, so a lot of times the, the cost can be justified. But, you know, Link has definitely had a gap in that, that you know, the round table on top of a table, you know, up until these kind of massive rooms. So this this allows for, you know, pricing still coming, kind of coming off. But what I've heard, it's pretty reasonable for what you're getting. And uh, the ability to have a you know good sized ten person conference you know sitting with all the things that Link can do on these big touch screens, um, and I believe it's, it's what's it so smart um, who makes the smart boards. I mean they're they're also coming out with this, which is I think going to be really neat because they you know a, a lot of schools have those. They make you know these intelligent whiteboards for people who don't know, um, and they're going to bring a lot of you know I think good you know workflow stuff that probably even from somebody who's just making you know like conferencing stuff doesn't understand i think this is going to be really cool one of the things they showed up was you know you have like the camera and the multiple participants in one window and then the, the link whiteboard with a touch screen in another window which which makes a huge i mean it's like a really really if you think about it and have used the, the whiteboard which doesn't get a lot of use on desktops i i, I find but um it's a really cool tool in link and but to have that now coupled to, to a, a room-sized you know giant touch screen and have multiple participants be able to move things around objects on the screen i think that's going to be really awesome yeah that's huge so what's the client going to be like then because uh, obviously these conference systems are a pain for a lot of end users to use. Uh, the interface is different to what they used to on the desktop. Uh, yeah, it's, it, you kind of equate it to, you know, the old Link Phone Edition devices where Microsoft kind of built the OS for those purpose-built devices and several vendors, uh, you know, put those on their devices. The same is happening with these Link Room systems. They all run a very similar Link client um, on them. So, you know, you walk in, the, the calendar's there, you touch the calendar, the join link meeting, and you're immediately in the meeting. All of them are going to look and feel the same. Uh, some of the vendors have added some of their own little tweaks. I looked at the Crestron uh, solution, and they had uh, where it hooked into your lighting system so you could dim the lights or, you Ooh. know, you could hook it into your, your blinds or whatever so you can close the windows. So there's some more room automation that can be built on top of the link client. But all of them are going to run the same base type link client. Yeah, so I had a, a I'd look at some screenshots, and it looked very much like the the, the link MX client uh, that you get on the Surface tablets. But uh, yeah, with a room. I mean, in a lot of ways, these, these clients are like I know the CX7000, which was which kind of predecessor uh, was for these. It was really just running you know Windows 7 embedded in a link client. I mean, in essence, they might put some different interface on it, but I mean, it's very similar to the original client. I think in a lot of ways, which makes it easier, I think, um, for people to get you know used to it, and it makes it certainly bring drives the cost down than having some custom, you know, piece of silicon or whatever. Yeah, and uh, it was really good because um, it's uh, you can have a pure link environment, and now you can also have these meeting room systems. So it fills a gap for customers uh, that only have uh, Link uh, deployed and not uh, Cisco or other vendors they do, they have. So um, without any other infrastructure, we could uh, link your uh, meeting rooms. So it's uh, it's going to be great. So the idea yeah, really is that. 
Sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead, Steve. Uh, so, so the idea is really that uh, people can buy Link and incrementally add the really advanced stuff just by buying it, plugging it into the network, and bam, you've got uh, a full enterprise system that competes with the, the Cisco's, uh, but for a fraction of the starting cost and for a fraction of the cost. Stretch. Yeah, and uh, all you need is a Link user and, uh, and an Exchange mailbox, and you can invite the room, and uh, you will get uh, the ability to just touch the... Um, touch the screen and start a meeting. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and you know, again, you're talking about, and then, you, then you couple something like Federation with that. I mean, you know, the problem with a lot of these room systems is they're completely proprietary, and you only can talk to another room system from the same vendor. If you add Federation and another company that's just a federated partner has uh, has a room system, like conceivably, you could do the same sort of things across the environments without, you know, having anything other than just an internet connection between two of you. You know, you know what I mean? What about so, people uh, with Skype? Uh, I would imagine that that, that would yeah, be the same as soon as because that would videos up. It's just federation, yeah. Well, that yeah. that would be the killer feature, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, we mentioned Skype, and you know, in the link conference, they were really about business to anyone. You know, they're they're kind of trying to break down the boundaries of link between businesses, and now it's really business to X or B to X, so consumers. Um, you know. Yeah, right from the living room families. to the boardroom, right? Yeah, yeah, that was a good tagline that they used. Um, yeah, and just to give the other vendors um, their due on these room systems, so I believe it's going to be Polycom, LifeSize, uh, Crestron, and Smart that will be coming yeah. out the room systems. Yeah, and I think they're going to ship them from summer or fall. Yeah, I heard uh, they'll be starting to release in the second quarter of the year. Yeah, um, I'm not sure who's going to be first out of the gate, but I think that's when the first one will come out. Yeah, they had some demo units at the. Uh, I don't know if you saw them. They were kind of off the Crestron had one off the, the courtyard at, at the at the conference hotel. Um, I walked in there for a little bit. It's it's cool stuff, man. It was like, wow, it's pretty neat. Just um, one thing, guys. Do we know if uh, the room systems will be able to be used with Link 2010? Yeah, it's uh, it works with Link 2010. It's just a Link user. So uh, actually, it's. Um, uh, it's yeah, work both with 2013 and 2010. Yeah, because the client really does seem just like it's a, it's the MX client more or less, right? So, well, I think it I think it will do the you know H.264 and the RT video, so it'll probably have to pack port to RT video to work with 2010. Yeah, and you don't get um, uh, the gallery view. Yeah, and you, you don't get the gallery view; you just get the current speaker, but you get 2010 features. Yeah. Cool. But uh, one caveat, though, is that uh, the system doesn't have a VGA cable or HDMI cable. So if you're going to sit in a meeting room and present uh, your desktop or your um, PowerPoint, you actually need to join the meeting uh, using Link and present from your computer. So um, that's that's a caveat or something you need to be aware so, of. So I can't I can't I can hook an Xbox 360 to, to this giant cool touchscreen thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that sucks. All right, I, so my, I, I changed what I said. Now it sucks. <laughs> I went to a customer the other day actually, and they did have PS3 and Xbox in their meeting rooms. Oh yeah, <laughs> but they were a games company. So. <laughs> and I said, oh, you need, I you need to hook it yeah, right sure. up to the TV though, or the screen. <laughs> But that's a that is a big caveat though because if uh, it, no you just need to plan go, around it. Uh, but if you're having someone come in to do a presentation, you know, uh, like someone like us come in and uh, you'd have to give them the presentation. It's almost like 
back to the old school. I have to give them the presentation so they can stick it on their client and, and upload the presentation instead of just sticking the VGA cable into the back of your laptop. So that's, yeah, a, or that's they could quite a downside. Uh, they could just join through the as an anonymous user through a um, the web client in Twin 13. Yeah, but we know that's uh, but, not going to be as simple as it sounds because you've got to get on the Wi-Fi. Then you've got to hope that they've got federation enabled, or that they've got external conferencing. But it could be a pain, couldn't it? Yep, something you you need to plan around definitely. Yeah. Or so, or maybe find a some a, a, a quirk uh, yourself. Yeah, so uh, pre-sales consultants, you're gonna need your own little projector from now on. <laughs> but is it any is it any different with current you know room systems from Cisco and are are those types of fellas? Yeah, they those well, have yeah, VGA cables uh, connected to them, so just plug in your PC and present. And it'll feed it through that, yeah. But yeah, I mean. It, are these going to be in specialized meeting rooms, or are they going to be something that can go into well, I, I, I go into the, the meeting room that you'd that, that you'd usually be in for for normal meetings? I think they're shooting for like the ten person conference room is what kind of like what they said, eight to ten people. So yeah, I mean, I think these are expected to be, you know, pretty pretty commonly distributed. You know, not not so much a dedicated room, but I'm sure certainly yeah. you could do that, right? I mean, I mean, well, if you think of the the Cisco solutions, then they are aimed at a dedicated room. Oh yeah. Um, but if these aren't, they're, they're aimed at your normal room with a big table in the middle, and this thing's going to sit at the end where you'd usually have a screen and you'd usually right. have someone like us come on site to, to talk about technology, well, and it's like, plug you know, in that laptop, I, and do the uh, and do a bit of a presentation yeah, it's not, or a bit of a demo. Then that's going to be something that's going to be a bit of a pain. Yeah, it's not going to be a purpose-built room like the uh, telepresence type rooms are. I mean, the ones that we saw at Lincomp, they were on stands and wheels that could be wheeled around. Right. And they're going to make a one. A uh, screen and a two-screen solution, so um, they're definitely not meant to be a dedicated purpose-built room. Yeah, and I, and I, you go to those demo. I've been to the demos at Cisco. I mean, in these these, these telepresence rooms are. I mean, they're awesome and they're cool. But then you know, when they talk about what chair models they come with, you just kind of, I just kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, really? You know, it's like like I'm supposed to care what chairs come with this thing and how much am I paying for these chairs? By the way. You know? Yeah, I think there's barely any market for these big massive telepresence rooms. No, I know. Really. I think. Uh, Again, for the people who are the, the audience that wants them, they're going to pay that kind of money. But I think increasingly, uh, these kind of things make more sense, certainly, and are, are certainly more targeted to be more widely distributed than uh, than just having a roundtable on a table. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, really, was uh, the mobile clients. Did you see much? Uh, did you have a, a eyes on what they're going to look like? Yeah, they uh, demoed it through the keynote, and uh, there were a couple of sessions uh, on mobile. And also, uh, one session uh, that I really recommend was about uh, Wi-Fi and mobile. Yeah, and talking about um, battery life of the mobile when using the client and uh, what uh, specs your wireless network should have, like we talked in earlier episodes here. So, yeah. Yeah, I learned about a, a really cool... Cornel Bowens uh, gave that presentation. He was in my link rotation. He's, he's now um, the center of voice excellence at Microsoft, so he's a real smart guy. Um, but he also uh, talked about this uh, Wi-Fi detection tool called Insider. If you just look it online, you'll find it. Or we can post a link. But uh, I, I never heard of it. It's totally cool. It kind of shows you what's going on. He kind of used it in the demo to kind of, you know, illustrate, like, how, what, what typical Wi-Fi networks work, work, look like, how you can tell, like, a, you know, like a, a dedicated, you know, uh, enterprise uh, AP versus a home AP or a mobile you know, router. Really cool uh, utility. I would definitely recommend checking it out if you're, if you're, especially, again, because this is kind of the new frontier. It's, it was a really good class in that respect because, 
as things go more and more mobile and Wi-Fi is going to be the number one connectivity method, as we know, that's usually one of the biggest pains in link voice deployments is everyone's on mobile and complaining about voice quality. And it's like, well, yeah, you're 100 feet from the access point or the access point sucks or, you know. Um, and as mobile, more mobile devices are the way people are going to connect, and even, you know, a lot of companies are not going to even put in. I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, companies I've been at who have no plans anymore of building out new facilities that have wired connections. They're all going to be wireless, and they want wireless headset. They even want wireless desk phones, you know, I mean, uh, now. So um, um, I think the Wi-Fi piece is pretty huge right now. Yeah, just a, just a few points on the mobility before we move on. Um uh, Mentioned in the conference, though, the CU1 server bits will be required for the new mobile uh, clients, and then the uh, and that, of course, is released. We'll talk about that here in a second. And then the new 2013 mobile clients will be released over the next month or two uh, for all the different vendors. Yeah, and one thing about the mobile client that uh, is good to know is um, the 2013 client will not connect to the 2010 server. So you need to uh, actually use the 2013 client against the 2013 pool. Yeah, and there's going to be some logic in there too. Um, this was covered in the in the in the in the presentation where you know if you connect with one client against a backend that can't support it, it's going to redirect you to the you know appropriate app store to download the new app. What I did ask though too, because I find that actually kind of problematic. If I what if I have to monitor multiple link environments, uh, am I going to be able to have multiple client versions uh, installed on a machine? The presenter said yes. Uh, when I say machine, I mean device. Um, I can't wait to find out if that's the truth, uh, because uh, I really would be upset if I, you know, have a 2010 client on my iPhone and it downloads a 2013 client because I'm logged into a 2013 pool and now I can never log in back into a 2010 pool with that client. You know, I have to get another device. That kind of would suck. So, um, hopefully, we'll we'll have answers to that stuff soon. So, moving on to our next topic, and uh, and I think it all started at the Link Conference as well, moving as, as nicely on. Uh, John, I think you spoke to Brian K. Uh, Winstead. Uh, about the UC Architects, uh, which turned into a, a lovely little article about us, uh, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, and obviously, you know, you, you, you seem to get all the credit, which I was going, what the hell? <laughs> what are we, chopped liver over here? <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think Pat uh, had told us like a couple months before the conference that, that Brian was talking about uh, doing a, you know interview for, from Windows IT Pro Magazine. And people don't know Windows IT Pro Magazine. I mean, if you're a, if you're a nerd, especially, um, I, I would say from the Exchange nerd, because Windows IT Pro kind of came from the Exchange People remember those exchange journals back in the day. They were like, like they were like green binder, like they you know, actually had hole punches, and and they were only like 20 pages uh, an, an issue. But uh, you, you know, you kind of we trying to collect them and put them in a binder. And I have like literally like you know <laughs> eight years worth of binders. I'll never throw those out, even though they have no use anymore. But I, you know, it's, it's kind of like to me, this is it's it's a it's a big magazine. It's like you know the Time magazine for nerds, right? <laughs> so, like so we were. I was kind of on it, flattered uh, in a way. But yeah, I mean basically. Uh, Pat said he was going to do an interview, and um, timing-wise, it worked out. We went to a, a, the Proficient put on a, an event uh, at the conference at SeaWorld in San Diego. So after the you know presentation, we were kind of just drinking, eating, and started to do this interview. And he, you know, it was pretty cool. I kind of asked how you know things got started, and and we talked about you know your your, your tweet, Steve, and um, how people responded to that, and how it just sort of happened, you know, uh, over time. Uh, uh, it was pretty cool. 
It was, it was, all of a sudden, it was kind of serious, you know. It's like, oh, wait, we're really getting an interview. And then uh, our, my buddy John uh, kept on bringing me drinks, which I don't know if it was helping or hurting. It certainly made me more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Uh, it was really cool being interviewed by uh, Brian. So, uh, cool. so it, did he actually, it didn't... Uh, journalist review. Uh, yeah, he didn't take much yeah, notes. Yeah, uh, but yeah exactly. Got, and I'm he like, remembered everything you said. for real. <laughs> oh, that is, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've only ever had to do that once, and that was when I was into car PCs, and I went down to London. Uh, but it certainly wasn't anywhere as cool as a uh, Sea World. Uh, it was in a dodgy little cafe, and he was there taking the notes down just like that. So I thought it was amazing at the time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a, that, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I just answered his email questions. <laughs> it wasn't uh, quite as nice. Yeah, it was uh, quite an honor to be interviewed, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. Um, as you see in the picture, we yeah, are having a good, good time, right, John? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I, look, I, look, I look odd in that picture for a reason. <laughs> I think you had actually a couple of beers. I think just sort of at the edge. I think I had a bottle of Captain by the time we were done with that interview. <laughs> and I was just getting started. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was cool. I, I really appreciate it for him coming out, and, and of course, I, I also appreciate you know I, I, we, we talked trash back and forth about Android, uh, so he didn't he didn't hold it against me too bad. <laughs> Cool. So we'll put the link up to that. Uh, well, uh, you, you think we wouldn't? Uh, we'll put the link up to that on the website so you can read all about it. And uh, see my. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I actually found your original tweet. Yeah, that was cool. I told him on the tweet. On the tweet too. Well, cool. actually, I know. Uh, I know how to find it. You see, because uh, Dave Stork uh, at, has a blog posting about the new podcast, and he links to the tweet so that's the only way I can find it because I do not stand a chance of finding where that is so every time I want to find the original tweet I, I google for his blog then I go through his blog bit by bit until I can actually find that that original post that he did uh, but yeah so kudos to him for keeping it because uh, uh, I've forgotten all about it yeah one thing also I want to say is uh, uh, the interview did make the rounds uh, from my mother who posted it on, on her Facebook account, and my mother and my wife sent it to my mother-in-law, so I got a lot of trash from 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 from, uh, from moms <laughs> and such. So uh, it, I'm I'm you know a, a minor celebrity in my family. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's like, yeah, you understand? This is pretty pretty narrow stardom there, mom. But all right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, so, moving on, anyway, uh, now we've inflated all our egos a little bit, uh, onto the main <laughs> topics of the day. Uh, so, what we're going to do in the episodes from now on where we can, uh, is try and uh, bunch the link topics together, then Office 365, or where there's a mix in the middle, and, uh, and then exchange. So, if you prefer to listen to just the link stuff, then you'll know where that is. If you prefer the exchange stuff, you'll know where that is as well. Uh, and that'll save having to jump around the episode if you're looking for something in particular. So, first up, we're going to go with the link stuff. And um, it's a, a big week. Uh, well, uh, 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 there's been a few big releases since the last episode uh, for Link. And uh, Justin's going to tell us more about CE1 and the big swathe uh, of updates that have came out. Yeah, sure thing. So um, late last week, um, kind of the week before that, we've had uh, a ton of post-RTM releases come out uh, for Link 2013. Um, and this really sort of uh, demonstrates all the stuff that the product group have been working on within the product cycle that just didn't uh, reach the RTM uh, milestone for release. So um, the first one coming out uh, 
There's a cumulative update, the first cumulative update, February uh, 2013 cumulative update, just to uh, keep the naming convention correct, uh, is um, is a big one for Link Server 2013 because this delivers uh, sort of three big uh, features, and the first one being a grip call pickup, uh, which is really like a much-requested feature um, from people who have been using this kind of thing um, PBXs traditionally. Um, so it's something that comes along all the time, and... We find um, that within sort of uh, tender processes, people always have this long list of PPX requirements and uh, group call pickup is one of them. Um, and for those people that uh, aren't familiar with it, it's essentially a feature where if, um, you know, my, my colleague um, across across the cubicle or down the, a couple of desks down from me, if his phone is ringing and uh, I want to be able to pick it up, um, I should be able to pull, uh, pick up my phone, link client and dial the number and be able to pick up that person's particular incoming phone call. So um, something that was uh, much requested now actually um, exists in the product, and this is a big one uh, for us to be able to take to um, other vendors like Cisco and, and Avaya and, and those kind of people and say, yep, you know, we can match you. Uh, we have feature parity with your PBX functionality. And the next one we got coming up that was delivered in this uh, CU is a location-based uh, routing. Um, what this allows is um, an administrator to force outbound PSN calls uh, particular users at particular PSN gateways. Um, it's mostly really like a VoIP regulatory feature for particular geogra um, geographies like, uh, like India uh, and other, other places. I think there's an African country that has this sort of thing as well uh, to protect their um, legacy uh, like phone company in the country. So um, that's a feature that's been delivered now. It must have been sort of quite um, heavily requested by, um, by the industry. Um, is it something you have come across? Uh, I haven't. Like, I've not seen Europe um, or, or the UK or anything. I think I've maybe been some stuff that matches this particular use case in Germany. Um, but it's really, it's happened in enough geographies worldwide where there's been enough seats um, where I'd say it's sort of been a deployment blocker for Microsoft to put this in. So. Yeah, I think I, I think I've, I've seen it not so much from a regulatory perspective, but just sort of a call control. Um, you know, having the ability to dial locally um, um, it has it has a lot of requests from people from what I've seen. Yeah, it's mostly let's say if a UK user goes to India, that their calls don't like for um, say UK user dials a UK number, Link by default would put that UK number at the UK gateway. But for you know, like in India's case, they want to make sure that. If the call goes out of the country, um, but it doesn't actually use least cost routing, like you have to be, they have, they say that you have to incur that like international charge. So, so, so you're a UK user with a UK phone number. You're in India, and this allows you to make sure that call ends up going out through India. Yeah. So rather than doing like the efficient thing and being a UK bound call at a UK gateway, you could put a UK bound call out an India gateway and incur the international. Call right. it. It's like it's like the long long distance copies, companies lobbied for this and got and got it to protect their industry, right? Yeah, pretty much. So that just I sounds mean, so terrible. That <laughs> just sounds like one of those things where they should have said sod it. Let's let some other vendor uh, have that. Cause... Well, I think it was a blocker for a lot of because uh, and I think it also helps regulatory wise trying to get link. Well, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone if it was a nefarious reason why, how you know, cloud voice, you know, cloud voice on 365. Well, this will need to be there for them to really globally penetrate with, with, with hosted voice, right? So I'm sure there's an ulterior motive somewhere in there, but I'm just guessing on that. One. So how does that work with federation, though? 
Oh, but yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> or are they hoping no one's asked? <laughs> I think it's mostly just to protect, like, when an actual phone number is dialed, you know. Um, there's probably some sort of legal loophole that, you know, when there's a non-traditional phone number. And sometimes, you know, it's just, sometimes it could just come down to a checkbox, too. You know, it's like, hey, you know, we have that, you know, we're, lo- yeah. we, you know, we're uh, on the on the on the the windsheet between us and Cisco and a pilot. You know that's one thing that we're we're losing on. So let's put it in there. Whether anyone uses it or not, you know who knows. But you know, um, we just got to say we have it. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things that an RFP process would be good and it's going to win the win the yeah, deal totally. for Microsoft and the partner. Yeah. Um, cool. And so moving on, um, there is a lot of stuff we need to cover in these updates. Um, the big one here is that uh, this cumulative update is going to deliver the server functionality to allow the mobile clients to work. So uh, a prerequisite for these new mobile clients to work is that you need to have this CU installed. Um, and what this does is it uh, allows um, the mobile client to uh, leverage uh, UCWAR, so that's the um, Unified Communications uh, Web API, uh, which is this kind of new way of interacting with, um, with Linux Server 2013. So in this version, um, uh, rather than in Link 2010, we'll use the legacy MCX service. Um, the Link 2013 mobile clients use this new UCWAR. So um, that's all delivered in this CU1. And then moving on from that, we've also got the Link Server 2013 resource kit tools that have come out. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, and a lot of people have been um, wanting for these because a lot of pe- a lot of people have a lot of like ResKit tools built into um, like IT operations processes. So new versions of um, things like ABS co- uh, config, Cepheus util uh, to control your call forwarding and delegation settings, uh, and things like DB Analyze as well, which allows you to look into um, the uh, meeting co- and conference details of a particular user, um, are all in that ResKit there, the ResKit tools. And the next one after that is um, a new thing. I think this, I've not heard of this before, um, is a whiteboard archiving viewer. And uh, what this allows you to do is that if you can get onto the, um, the server where the whiteboard data from a meeting um, was stored by a link, um, you take off those raw files and uh, dump it to a local location on your PC and then run this uh, tool. And what it will do is convert it into um, a HTML format that you can then view within your browser. So um, yeah, it must do like there must be a requirement for it, um, and it's quite cool. We'd like to be able to say, yep, yeah, um, in a conference that occurred last week, if somebody was drawing a really cool diagram or something that would be valuable for um, uh, you know some sort of process, then we know we could go into it. Well, yeah, and think for the room systems too. I mean, if you're doing uh, whiteboarding on that, there's got to be some mechanism to get those off. Like you know, if, if you're trying to yeah. use that as a smart board. Um, we had no way to get that data otherwise just recording the whole conference. Absolutely, yeah, so. I mean, that's, that's an excellent use case, John, yeah, for sure. Cool, so um, the, moving on from that one is um, our fourth uh, piece of kit that's been delivered is uh, Link Server 2013 planning tool. Uh, this is a cool little utility that allows you to um, open it up and then dial in essentially how many users you're going to have, how many sites you need to support, what kind of functionality you want, and then the link will um, spit out a nice little diagram and show you uh, what you need and will also um, give you an XML that you can then take and put into Topology Builder and use that as a, um, a basis for your topology within the actual link deployment. Um, so having that delivered for um, this new version of the product is, is a, great, uh, a great tool to have available. Uh, and then we've got some two new um, things coming as well, which is uh, with persistent chat sort of getting more and more focus within link 2013, uh, 
product group have delivered a, um, an SDK for that, um, so a software development kit. So what this will allow people to do is um, actually plug into persistent chat and start building um, some new like custom workflows and applications that uh, will leverage persistent chat. So if uh, a company wanted to do something like uh, develop a bot that uh, monitored a chat room and, and looked for particular things like you could do something that monitored for social security numbers or credit card numbers or something and um, if you wanted to be so malicious like pull them off and store them somewhere you know if you wanted to be like a, a sort of data miner maybe <laughs> but uh, there's, a, there's a use case for you but um, yeah there's the SDK that's available for that and uh, still talking about persistent chat uh, we've also got a resource kit for um, persistent chat as well and I think this is a really good indication that um, Microsoft are taking this really seriously now because um, we've not had a good focus on this feature um, in previous versions with group chat and things. So within that res kit, um, two examples of um, quite valuable things I've found right off the bat is um, a, uh, chats, a chat stress tool. Um, and what this allows you to do is actually do some um, stress and performance testing on persistent chat before it enters production. and um, this is quite valuable, especially if you're sitting at the sort of planning stage of your deployment and you're saying, okay, we're going to deploy uh, persistent chat for, um, you know, 20,000, 30,000 users or something. We need to make sure it's going to stand up. And the next um, cool feature within the persistent chat resource kit is um, a chat usage report. So what this will allow you to do is actually go in and, and plug into the um, persistent chat environment and, and get some usage stats off that. Um, which uh, we all know is, is great for doing things like measuring return on investment and uh, really getting an understanding of, of how much uh, the entire environment within the persistent chat space is being used. Uh, so I think that's really cool because um, I've always been like a big advocate of group chat, um, and when I saw it really become a, a first-class citizen within 2013, uh, I got a bit excited. So, so that's cool. And moving on, we've got the Lynx over 2013 capacity calculator. Um, and what this layer to do now is rather than just taking the default um, capacity specs that are in the TechNet library, um, you dial in the number of users you're going to support and uh, what kind of modalities and functionality um, you need into this tool. And what it will do is, um, is, is spit out some um, some stats on, on the required. Hey, uh, some of the other guys on the call have, have got sort of some opinions on this thus far. If anyone wants to. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I haven't actually gone through the, usually they accompany, well, they always do, I mean, in this case included, they, there's a white paper that accompanies the tool which shows you kind of how the user models are based on, which is actually really interesting stuff. I mean, you know, it, one, one from a really nerdy perspective to see how these kind of things do scale, and then also from a legitimate, you know, you need to know this stuff because if you're trying to really plan, especially at a big scale environment, um, cracking these numbers open um, and seeing what they are, based on um, what user models, you know, they're based on, will help you plug in, you know, some data that's more relevant for your environment, I think. Um, and actually, if you look at the, and if you go in the the, 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 the spreadsheet, you know, if, if people haven't, are not familiar with the, with the capacity calculator, it's, it's an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of cool macros and things, and, you know, you plug in fields, and you can uh, uh, manipulate the data, and then it'll spit out, you know, things like, you know, a number of front-end servers you need, blah, blah, blah. Um, those fields are also based on the, on the calculations, so you can actually go in and modify those calculations if you want to make, you know, so let's say if, you, you know, if it's based on um, um, average number of contacts, right, you can change that number to whatever you want it to be, 
um, even though some 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 fields may not you know allow you to actually um, manipulate the data, you can actually go and the formulas that are behind them and change those to, to reflect what you need done. So I think that's really cool. Um, but it's also I think surprising. I think some of the scalability numbers on 13 that we haven't had yet. Um, this capacity calculator is kind of showing that you really need to think strong and hard, and, and I think you know just just adding a little bit more RAM, um, you know, taking your 2010 environment and a little bit more RAM is probably not going to cut it, especially if you start adding a lot of you know uh, media modalities. Um, you might be surprised that these machines start getting uh, exhausted faster than you would have considered. So I think this, I think more so than the last version, this uh, this version for 13, you really really should look at um, when you're planning a, a decent sized uh, make it 2013 environment. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly right, and that's like reflects um, the additional load that are on all of your front end servers now. You know, like they have such a m more important role. You know, like you can't offload the audio, video stuff anymore. Um, they've got all the local databases on them, so you can't just take your 2010 specs and as you just add some, you know, double it or something. You need to really think about it hard right. and, uh, and fast. But I mean, having said that, like the ca calculator has always been a kind of fluid document. Um, I think in that it's sort of you you do your best to um, get some some numbers out of it, but the real use link, um, you know, you can't always plan for things. Um, we've had some circumstances with customers in the past. You plan for you know so many number of conferences to be hosted on an audio video conference server. Um, you know, we would expect to be scheduled conferences of you know three or more users, but what we're finding is that um, two we were scheduling time in a calendar, and they just send out a um, online meeting request. And so, by the time the call came around, it would be two people just sitting in a audio conference, picking up resources on the server. And like, that's not how you're supposed to use it. And there's, there's things like that, the real world stuff that you know we may not always think about. So. Yeah, yeah, I think over I think over time this will get adjusted, right? So the capacity calculator for 2010 came out. Uh, you know, way beyond RTM, and this one's pretty close to RTM without a lot of real-world numbers behind it. So, I'm hoping that they, you know, Microsoft continues to revise it because it seems pretty simple and streamlined right now. Where, where the 2010 one, you know, broke out the different roles, which it had to, right? But you know, even with this one, it doesn't give you that option for separate mediation server role and how that changes the resources needed for the front-end servers or not. Uh, so hopefully, you know, Microsoft will continue updating this. Yeah, and I was uh, looking at the, the ability to scale down uh, since a lot of our customers in the Nordic countries uh, are 1,000 users or below. Um, what the white paper states is that uh, if you have different processors, you can adjust the figures to match your hardware. Right. But I found nowhere to match my hardware. <laughs> So well, uh, that's what I was saying about if you look at the in the formulas, there's you know I think they use a specket number in, in some of these formulas to get the value of what machine is. So you can actually go in and plug in numbers that make sense for for your environment. Yeah, um, but I didn't see where you could adjust processor cores or what kind of uh, servers yeah. you are running. Right. So, yeah, it's assuming a certain number of processor cores and. and yeah, uh, I think it well, starts. It starts off. Yeah, and it starts off at like 16 gigs of RAM is the minimum. So, yeah, the, there's not a lot of guidance on scale down and, and real small environments. I mean, yeah. this is really built for. Uh, I mean, you can put in a thousand users here, but the specs are are pretty crazy. You know, just for a thousand users. So. Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure if it's that good for scale down, but uh, if you use 20 gigs of RAM and uh, enough processors, you should probably probably be okay. But um, 
yeah, how to reduce processor cores and, and play with that. I would really like to see that in the future. Yeah. Yeah, and one one thing is really good at too is is, is helpful is that you know it allows you to to see where. You know, in some environments, you know, if you you can use this as a guideline to say, all right, you know, here's where you know, at 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 our projected 18 month full modality, you know, our you know, uh, whatever our projected amount of you know populace is going to be using, uh, uh, conferencing and how much conferencing and voice, and say, okay, well that's going to you know we're going to need this kind of capacity in 18 months, but we know that's going to take us time uh, to get all those people using all those modalities, so we can kind of like, you know we can thin provision now, you know, to get. IMP, you know, for the, for our user community, and then slowly, you know, it'll help you to like kind of realize and project. I think in a lot of ways to where you're going to be in six, eight, you know, six, twelve, eighteen months by 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 plugging those numbers into the calculator and saying, all right, well, yeah, I'm going to need three more servers, you know, before we even hit this milestone, boom, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, I think it's really good for that. Yeah, but I think overall we just need to be prepared for you know beefier servers for Link 2013. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously you know it's running more SQL processes, it's co-locating roles. Um, we just have to be prepared as consultants and the community to just accept the fact that we're going to need beefier servers and not try to shoehorn 2013 into old 2010 specs. Yeah. So how's that yeah. going to affect virtualization? So that yeah, that's one thing that's missing is uh, a virtualization white paper uh, for 2013. I think I heard that that was coming out. It's coming, soon. yeah. I heard it. Yeah. Actually, I think they talked about it in one of the sessions too. It was coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you can have 12 cores in a virtual environment, can you? Or yeah, you It depends what you're using, doesn't it? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, but are you allowed to have it, or uh, will you ever get 12 cores dedicated in a virtual environment? Yeah, well, I mean, and why would you do that? Well, don't, don't the forget now where like the whole the whole VM host almost would be dedicated to. Don't to forget, FEs some people want to do that though. You know, that, well, but I mean, because, not necessarily. I mean, in terms of that, you know, I mean, it's not like it's not it's not uncommon now. There's what AMD's got 16 core uh, or 24 core. I, I've got I've, I've got two 12s in, in two of my servers right now, so I've got 24 cores in a one U box today. I mean, so if you think about giving 12, yeah, if you you know on a 24 core box, if you gave 12 to each VM, then you're only looking at two machines, right? But still, I mean, that machine might be able to host two roles very well, whereas before it was impossible. So. Um, but also, these these cores are going to scale, keep on scaling up, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just so, wanted to plug in for my new server, so that that was the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you did, John, because I saw you bragging about it on Twitter earlier today. I yeah. love cores, more cores. <laughs> At least my house doesn't sound like a helicopter taking off. Well, that's the reason why I got that. I had a I was saying I got a, I had a DL one eighty five G five which had twelve SATA base, and it was so loud I couldn't take it. Away. Actually, these things are actually pretty quiet. <laughs> They're on right now. Can we hear them? Okay, so we're at the end of these uh, new uh, post-RTM updates available. Um, and the, the third last one is the um, connectivity analyzer. And so what this tool will do is go in and attempt to connect to your link environment using um, the standard uh, services and protocols. So we'll go in and, and look for the link auto discover service. It will check that uh, the right NS records are published, um, certificates all check out, things like this. So um, it's good uh, for troubleshooting like login um, issues, uh, particularly if uh, you've got remote users or if they're out of a, a customer site and they have um, very restricted uh, outbound connectivity, things like this. Um, this is a quick tool you can give to your first line guys uh, to allow them to to check things um, uh, for end users. 
And the next one we have is that uh, version 4 of uh, UCMA is now available. Uh, UCMA stands for the Unified Communications Management API. And this is uh, the API you use to build things um, uh, like bots that plug into to Link and, and do cool things like uh, our modality systems, um, LinkMe, uh, for, for just to just sort of plug that over there. Um, but things like, yeah, shameless plug, um, you know, things like if you wanted a bot to, to um, subscribe to a user's presence and then ping them when they come online um, and prompt them to watch some training videos or something like that. That's what you'd use UCMA for. Oh, that um, still sounds like a plug. Good <laughs> <laughs> um, example of how UCMA is used. So. <laughs> uh, and what's that product um, called and how much does it cost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, my, my directors will be happy with me now. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so UCMA 4 is now available. And then our last one is that... Um, the uh, link basic versions of the client and the VDI plugin now have some additional language support. Um, and I'll just run all those off real quickly. Um, so we've got Danish, Finnish, Hindi, Norwegian, Polish, Portuguese, Swedish, Czech, Greek, Hungarian, Romanian, Thai, Turkish, and Ukrainian. So sounds like uh, I can see some big link 2013 deployments going on across uh, Europe and parts of uh, Asia and India shortly. So uh, <laughs> that's some good news. Um, and that pretty much uh, wraps up all those uh, post-RTM updates we've seen for Link 2013. Yeah, yes. I think uh, this really marks uh, that uh, Link 2013 has gone uh, GA, general yeah, right. availability. So we are on, guys. Yeah, well, it, it, was a, it was a lot of stuff in one day, too. I'm like, man, I can't get any work done. It's just like, just, like, just like a giant box got dropped off at my front door. Like, oh, man, I got a lot of stuff to go through. Yeah, especially when it came two days after, like, the link comp. So you're already trying to get through all the videos and material there, and here we go, a new package. But I think the biggest one that's missing for me right now is the bandwidth calculator. So I'm hoping yeah. that comes out pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, a bit bummed out uh, that it wasn't there. So well, much. I mean, much of that. <laughs> you well, yeah, guys, you that just, just don't appreciate change, right? anything. Us exchange guys are just waiting for one update. Oh, we only got ten. You know. <laughs> well, don't get me started with all of the 2015 of exchange. And another thing, uh, we still don't have the stress and performance tool for Link 2013 either. So I thought that was yeah, the yeah, the, yes, uh, yeah, that did come out. Oh, it did. Okay, yeah. Just yeah. Uh, goes to show how much attention I'm paying. Then <laughs> I, I just hope it works for 2013, like it, it barely worked for 2010. So, well, yeah, I, I tried to use it for 2010, and it required some really uh, bad user users uh, that needed the same username well, as password. Getting, and stuff. Yeah, getting getting that working was a living freaking. Yeah. So yeah. I've, I've not had any customer agree to uh, deploy that. The people who write instructions for uh, stuff you buy at a key, I think, wrote that wrote, wrote that tool. Because <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. So obviously nobody's tried out the 2013 one. Hopefully, maybe no, next episode we can. I think uh, I'll try it uh, next week, actually. So there you go. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I think we're gonna actually. I'm gonna actually have to start doing it for this project we're on. But hey, then you can tweak down your server specs, right? There you go. Actually, you know, speaking of that, I just did check on, on Virtual Machine Manager 2012. The eight cores was the most I could assign to a VM, so just to set FYI. So you're going to have to get VMware, then. Ah. You're going to have to get vSphere. You're going to have to buy some really expensive licenses. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's okay. I mean, if Microsoft want to push people down that route. <laughs> Icky. 
Well, there's nothing icky about vSphere. I run all my labs on it. And most of my customers use it as well. <laughs> uh, not that Hyper-V is bad in any way, but it's just not quite as good. I'm being quiet. <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving swiftly on <laughs> before I end up having to kick John out for bad-mouthing VMware. Hey, actually, hold on. John, do you, do you like VMware? Oh, I've muted him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, I do. <laughs> it, it is quiet now. There we go, that's better. No, I could keep you. Uh, you'd think I've never used the client before. Uh, um, <laughs> moving on, moving on. Uh, Stole. Um, we're going to go on to our scripting, because uh, it's, it's only two major topics for Link today, but the, the first topic was obviously a big one, and of course we had the Link conference. Um, so the, the final topic is scripting, and it's uh, it's not just any scripting either. Um, it's a whole Link deployment with... Well, I'll, I'll let you tell us all about it. Yeah, so this is the script created by uh, MEP Tommy Clark uh, that I... Um, uh, have been working with uh, creating the um, uh, Link Lab uh, class, and uh, we have created a script to deploy servers uh, for our Link class. And um, it's uh, mainly Tommy that uh, has been uh, working on the script. He's actually spent a lot of time making this work, and it's really epic. So um, what it does, it creates uh, deploys your servers and uh, um, create a domain, uh, DNS, DHCP, a certificate service, and uh, deploy servers and have them join the domain and uh, install both Link uh, and Exchange and SQL Server. So really, after a couple of hours of uh, running this script, you will have a complete uh, lab environment to uh, play with. Very so um, and and I've been testing this for um, um, since December, and uh, it's getting better and better. And um, Tom is really in, on point uh, making this work. He, he is really spending a lot of time on this, and uh, I'm really impressed uh, how uh, well it's handling. So to able to use this script, uh, which is called um, LinkLab LinkLab Online Automated. Um, it's uh, you need to download the um, uh, uh, ISO files for the server and and uh, the OS uh, and stuff like that, and place them in a folder, probably on uh, on your C drive, and then uh, the script will deploy servers first a, a base 2012 server, which uh, every server is based on. And then it will download tools for Link and Exchange and the SQL Server that we need to actually deploy those uh, servers. So, um, if you and you can actually look at the installation uh, if you're running it on Hyper-V. I've been running it on my Windows 8 uh, server on my laptop, and um, uh, you can see see them just deploy. Uh, can I so, ask a question? Does it work yeah, on sure. VMware? Uh, no, it's okay. uh, it's Hyper V only. I take, <laughs> I take back what I said there. <laughs> this is what you need Hyper V. It's gonna yeah, save you really, because you can script lab. everything, and everything is PowerShell, and it's really, really cool. So um, the thing is, you have so some caveats. Um, you may see the service deploy. But uh, not, nothing gets installed on the servers, and that may be because of um, 
you don't have all the bits required for uh, the roles to be installed. Uh, so um, uh, the script should download uh, the extra uh, bits you need to install. For Exchange, you need UCMA4 for if you're running, um, uh, because it installs the um, unified messaging role. And you need to uh, have some tools there. And it also will pre-install the um, link debugging tools, so you have uh, Snooper ready to go and, and stuff like that. So another thing is um, uh, there may be other reasons that the service won't install, but uh, I have tested it, and it really works. And uh, if you want to have your um, uh, server bits on other um, drives, you need to go into the scripts and edit them. But uh, other than that, it uh, it works pretty well. And uh, I have one recommend recommendation when using the script is that you use SSD drives. <laughs> For any Maybe you should sell an SSD with it on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this thing, this thing should uh, just chip with um, uh, SSD. But uh, I actually tried it running on a regular laptop disk, and it really was not good. But so SSD it works fluently. Then. Uh, d uh, does it uh, use differencing disks at all, by the way, or is it uh, individual VHDs? Uh, it's individual VHDs, oh. so it will it will deploy the VHDs um, like regular VHDs, and it creates your network for them. Um, uh, it creates everything in networking in uh, Hyper-V and uh, uh, deploys the servers. So I have uh, this uh, lab running on my com on my laptop, and I have ex extended on it uh, installing Operation Manager for Link, and uh, actually demoed it uh, using this script on uh, the Nordic Infrastructure Conference. Was run on this environment, so it was it's really good. It sounds it. So it's really aimed at, at lab environments, nothing else. That just to make that that clear. Uh, yeah, this, it's this a lab environment. This is not a tool that you're going to go and uh, suggest people go and use to build uh, a greenfield in environment. Uh, this no. is a, a lab building tool. Could, though, right? I mean, other than the user accounts, but yeah. but that that's the idea that uh, it's not going to uh, it, it it's not going to build a production environment where you can. Put, uh, pull in all the, all the details. That would be something that you might need to customize the script for. Sure. You... And uh, but uh, Tommy is actually working on uh, a next version where you can actually choose different topologies, where you could have uh, multiple pools or stuff like that as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably um, it it is a lab environment, but uh, it's a good one. And and the cool thing is that you only download some PowerShell scripts. It's a couple of kilobytes. And then you're good to go. So this of course, sounds, you need to download your uh, server bits, though. So this sounds a lot easier than uh, the, the is it the, the proof of concept sort of whole set of VHDs that you could download for Link 2010 uh, that you could download a whole similar sort of environment where you could get Exchange DCs, the the whole Link environment, and all the add-on bits like that, a SharePoint VM with all the different bits set up. This is like that, but it, it it's less to download. And it's a, a nice new fresh environment that you can put on to, to, to any Hyper-V hardware that you want. Yeah, and uh, it's easy to add servers to. You just add another server, and uh, you can run edit the script to make it uh, make the server join a domain and just be a, a new server. And you could add more roles to it or um, ex expand on the topology. So it's a good uh, playground.
Can I run it on my surface? Uh, no, you can't. To, to, uh, you have, you don't have the disk space, or you don't have enough memory. <laughs> One thing we do on the exchange, though, is that we uh, we uh, turn on circle, circular logging, uh, so it doesn't eat your disk. Uh, so does it do anything about things like certificates and stuff like that? Does it request yeah. and deploy the certificates? Yeah, uh, it will be deployed with some basic certificates, but uh, yeah. you need to. Um, if you don't, it's not. Uh, you don't have Link and Exchange uh, integrated, so you need yeah. to request a new certificate certificate for the Exchange uh, yeah. and add it, and uh, then you need to do the Link and Exchange integration. But uh, the Link server uh, actually uh, has all the certificates okay, so it will actually run when you are finished. So yeah. you could just log on with a client. So it leaves you uh, some interesting fun stuff <laughs> to, to do afterwards. So UM integration, instant messaging and presence, you'll need to, to do those bits yourself afterwards. Um, yep. But but still, <laughs> it's still pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, you, you don't have to spend time deploying servers and installing the bits. Just and link on its own would be impressive enough. That's, that, that's a, that is a, a good thing <laughs> for building a lab. Yep. And it, it's an enterprise uh, link deployment, so it's uh, uh, ready with the SQL server and you can play around with uh, monitoring reports and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm, I'm quite impressed and uh, all hats off to Tommy Clark. Yeah, I mean, back, back to the conference, I mean, again, meeting him was like, again, talk about, you know, people you really would like to meet. Like, you know, it was really cool to sit there and have a, you know, some drinks with us. Talking to him a little bit, and like guys like Ken Lasko too. I mean, I could probably talk for an hour on, again more on the conference, but but uh, it was cool meeting him, uh, Tommy Clark, definitely. Well, moving along, because uh, it, it, we've still got quite a lot to go through, so we're going to have some very rushed exchange topics uh, a bit uh, later on. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, using Michelle's tagline from his website if you can't explain it simply uh, you don't know it well enough so we'll have to do that for all the exchange topics from now on because uh, you link guys you just know how to keep on talking and talking and talking uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next up today and thank you very much for, for those guys uh, it's Office 365 so uh, it's here the, the Wave 15 all the 2013 products that we've been talking about you can now buy on demand from Link Online uh, Exchange Online, SharePoint Online and Project Online and, uh, all, all those bits uh, are now services that you can buy from the cloud you can't buy the old stuff anymore so unless you're in certain certain markets where they still only sell Wave 14 uh, you have to buy uh, the, the 2013 Wave 15 Office 365 uh, I don't have the country list there, but I'll put it up on the website for where you, you do and don't get that. So if you want to build a lab uh, and you need to use the 2010 versions, then it's simple. Find a country that uh, Way 15 isn't available in. Um, and of course, if it's the other way around, uh, sign up and pretend you're in uh, a different country to get the, the lab environment that you, or the demo environment that you want. Um, but there's, we won't. I, I don't need to tell you all the things that are in 2013 uh, products uh, because most of those are are inside Office 365 Way 15. Uh, hybrid Voice is a very interesting one. That's uh, an Office 365 thing. Uh, so uh, I don't know whether any of you link guys have looked into Hybrid Voice yet uh, and what you can and can't do with it. No, I actually really haven't uh, 
been working on a customer that has had that deployed yet. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a is the Vnext uh, 365 even available for that to support. Um, it, the documentation's there. I've I've not had it set up yet. Uh, at the moment, my uh, one of my lab environments is one that's uh, partly um, the production exchange and office 365 that i use for my personal email uh, and i've already moved my uh, mailbox out of my old tenant into office 365 through a bit of a convoluted way of uh, moving the mailbox down and up again uh, but uh, i've i've linked up my uh, on-premise link with um voicemail uh, and all those bits in the cloud, but I haven't tried out hybrid voice yet. That's the the next thing I want to do on my list. So if I get it working before the next episode, uh, I may be able to take you through that. But I I've not even read the documentation yet. I have uh, a customer that is running hybrid voice, uh, and the requirement is that you are on the new new tenant for 2013. Yeah. Yes. Well, that that's the key thing, the new tenant. Uh, but. Uh, uh, it, it looks like all the things like Federation, they go through on-premise. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, pure Federation setup, and uh, the users for, uh, that are online will call through your on-premise uh, setup. Yeah. So I'm probably not going to spend too much time messing around with it at home. Um but uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a go uh, and see what it's like. I haven't got any customers that are interested in it just yet. Uh, all my big projects are still on uh, the, the Wave 14 2010 set of products. Uh, but there's, there's there's some great stuff in there, I mean, especially on Exchange Online. Uh, you've you've got the the new stuff. So if you want to see the finished version, uh, what's probably uh, under the hood, uh, cumulative update one. Uh, yeah, we can use numbers for Exchange. Uh, then uh, have a look at Office 365, and you'll see uh, Exchange Online there, uh, and it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you got any ETA on like when uh, they're going to start moving tenants over? Um, I I haven't. Um, I believe there's a long list to do and then they're going to start doing them and if you're at the bottom of the list you've got to wait until it finishes uh, but I, my understanding is they're going to send out emails that will give customers uh, a, a rough sort of date but customers won't be able to to ask Microsoft uh, to be moved on a specific date uh, so you, even if you're uh, Coca-Cola um, what I've heard is you will be moved on a certain day if you're not ready then you can ask to go to the back of the queue but you can't say we want it on june the first uh unless i suppose it's different for dedicated customers but uh yeah for for standard tenants you, you'll get moved when they're ready so be prepared uh office 2013 <laughs> michelle wants to talk about office 2013 uh, and licensing uh so the, there's a, a bit around that uh and uh, are you going to talk about windows xp michelle Windows XP? No. Well, the well, one thing on Office 2013 licensing is if you sign up for Office 365, as I understand it, you only get that version. You can't downgrade to 2010. So if you're looking to get Office 365, Wave 15, and buy Office licensing through that, and half your machines are still on Windows XP, then you won't be able to install Office 2013 on those machines. Okay, I wasn't fully aware of the actual situation, but I knew there was some discussion going on on the licensing uh, office. Uh, if you're still on XP, you should be beaten, but I realize that trillions <laughs> of people still are, but 
But yeah, well, we, well, yeah, and, and if you haven't signed up for your tenant yet, but you were planning to do it and you've done all the research and you've got to start over again, and it it, it might make a project uh, a little bit longer, uh, or you might yeah. have to license things a different way. But that that's my understanding. No 2010 downgrade. Okay. Uh, and we there is that there is other licensing in Office 2013 because. Office 365, it, got it. It, it. it relates to everything now. Uh, you, you can buy an Office 365 subscription from uh, your local PC shop, and it's it's not for the same thing. <laughs> it's it's to buy the consumer product, SkyDrive, Skype, the the Office suite. And uh, there was something in that where uh, if you if you bought the full retail version of Office 2013 instead of the Office 365 consumer subscription, then you wouldn't be able to move that license between PCs in the same way that you can with a subscription-based product. But uh, the, the last word I heard on that was they've they've changed that. So if people do buy the, the boxed retail product, they will be able to, to re-license it elsewhere if they need to, you know, if they upgrade the PC. Yeah, that was announced, uh, I think, just this week, actually. Yeah, but it's, it's a weird position that Microsoft seems to be putting people in, uh, trying to force people to upgrade, uh, and trying to force them to to buy it on subscription as well. Because what people seem to want is to be able to buy the products as and when they need them. So like Office uh, Office 2013 Pro Plus, you can only buy if you've got an EA, uh, or if you buy it through Office 365. You people have been calling out for years to be able to buy that Pro Plus. So they've got something that can access things like archiving features and uh, and the, the full suite of products for, for years. Is, is it Power Pivot that they don't get uh, with Office unless they buy Pro Plus? Um, they, can't, they, they can't buy that through the normal channels. So Office or Excel, Access, Outlook, MVPs have, have been crying out about that for a long time. And it's, it's not going in theirs all the customers favor um, it's it's all this subscription model and that that's good but if, if it's what people don't want uh, what are they going to look elsewhere no Microsoft <laughs> will destroy the world and 365 will be everywhere John don't you think they might try, try and choose Google <laughs> they'd be fools <laughs> But it, it can make people look when they weren't going to, is, is my point. Uh, I'm going on a bit too much about the topic because I did just say, uh, trying to put it simply and just having to rush through these topics. Um, but but yes, there's a, a lot around Office 365. Good stuff, bad stuff. Um, but the, the main stuff is, is Office 365 Wave 15. Um, of course, you can always sign up for a 30-day trial and have a go. Uh, and see the, the differences. Uh, if you've seen the preview before, things have moved on quite a lot since then. Remember, you can't take your preview tenant with you, so you might need to get your stuff out. Uh, if you if you do want to try, oh, you can't you can't uh, buy the preview tenant. No, I believe they're all getting dumped. Oh, uh, I don't know if I knew that. Uh, I think so. Anyway, uh, that's I I, uh, I don't think I can upgrade mine. Uh, I'm just dumping my preview tenant anyway, but uh, that's that was my understanding. They're not going to turn into full tenants. I'm just waiting impatiently for my for my tenant to be moved because it's holding my freaking org hostage. What's running on it? What? What's running on your tenant? Just 20, 2010. What email? Anything else? Well, I, I got an E2 plan. 
Yeah. So I can't move, but I can't move my internal organ until they upgrade me. You said there was some way to do it, but I actually asked uh, uh, somebody, <laughs> and they said, yeah, no, you, you're not going to do that. <laughs> Why not? I, what's, what's your, how many, who's your internal org? Is, are you a, my, my own org. As my, in? My home. My home. Your home, right? Yeah. So the the way I suggested to you, I perhaps wouldn't suggest to a customer, but, <laughs> but it would be a valid way of doing it. So if you if you add hybrid at the moment and you move stuff back and then up again, it would be a bit of a silly thing to do instead of just waiting. But if it's like five people or something, then it's it's really easy to do. So to to what what I did with my personal tenant, I've still got my. 14 tenant and I've got a bunch of domains in there uh, so the UC architects are mailing us to still on my way 14 tenant my dad my wife uh, even my three-year-old daughter's got a, a, an alias on there and I had just my steve at stevieg.org address and then a bunch of other email addresses so my primary address my link uh, address was all on that single uh, I was the only person using it so I've got 20 uh, 2010 service path 3 in the lab uh, so I just did a move request, moved myself down, then uh, added my Wave 15 tenant, and moved myself up. I had to do a few little things, <laughs> like uh, setting the. But you got to get a Wave 15 tenant, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Right. That, but I'm saying until they move me, I mean, how I I can't. You can what, sign up for a new tenant. Oh, so you're saying get a preview tenant, move my no, mailbox stuff. No, Office 3... Have you not read the topic? <laughs> Office 365 Way 15 is available. You don't I realize, but what if, yeah. what if you were... In a, so so I could buy a new 15 tenant, right? Yeah. And then how would I get my... Oh, I'm going to go on hybrid against that? Well, I, I didn't bother doing a hybrid just for that. Um, you, if you've got hybrid at the moment, then you might need to... Have you got hybrid at the moment? Yeah, that's the problem, and, and so it doesn't. It knows, and it doesn't. Yeah. Argue, it does a check, and that's why I can't put 15 on prem. Right, but you can go to 2010 Service Path three, which can talk to uh, Wave 14 and Wave 15. Right, but you can't install until your tenant is moved. You can't install 20. Even if you have SV1 and CU1, you can't install 2013 on prem until your tenant's moved. No, but if you dumped the tenant that you've got, if you moved back. Right. And then undid well, your hybrid. Yeah, that's an that's what for a new tenant. And that, uh, and that, if if it's five people, that's not going to take too long. If you've already got hybrid set up, I didn't even have any sort of hybrid, so I had to mess around and and stick in all the mail routing bits. But uh, no, I hear you. And that's, I did I did ask um let's just say the powers that be if I can break my hybrid, and they didn't recommend it. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> you understand, you know, uh, but understand this, like you know my in my scenario, my 365 is just for testing and screwing around. I'm an on-prem customer. Let's put it that way, yeah. right? So I don't really care about my tenant. I just want to get 2013 on-prem. So um, I see what you're saying. So if you just basically dump it and then uh, sign up for a new one, put, and maybe put that in. And put, then, how how do you go about uh, breaking hybrid? Um, oh, you, it's easy to break, <laughs> but um, well, turning it off to the point where it's you know deleted basically. So to move everybody back, and this is this isn't a technical list. This is a uh, an overview. Um, but move move everything back. So you've only got things like mail users that are uh, moved up to the cloud. Um, so there's basically everything in there can be done. So mail routing is all going through on-prem, in and out. Uh, you've got no, you've got nothing. Uh, no mailboxes in the cloud, no SharePoint data, uh, no link uh, 
clients on there, no link online licensed either. So everything's on prem. And then you can start taking away parts of the organization relationships. Okay, so outbound connectors, Dersync, defederate the ADFS domain. So you want to get everything out of that. Yeah. You want to you want to take all that down, uh, get rid of the, the you could you could null some of the hybrid config, and uh, and once that's done, you you'll have to undo all of this. You'll have to stop dersync. You'll have to unfederate those domains right. before you can delete your your domains that you've registered because obviously you've got the vanity domains. So and removing the org relationship really is the ultimate. Well, yeah. The, the, uh, if you've done hybrid before service pack two, then you know all the different bits that the hybrid configuration wizard does. Uh, so it's easy to to tear down those bits. Uh, but you need to tear them all down. You need to to do it carefully. It's it, you know it's, it's something you can do in an hour maybe. Uh, right. It'd be just much easier if they just would move by tenant. <laughs> maybe much happier. <laughs> but I'm getting close. To, if, if I can't get an ETA, I'm get, I'm getting close to doing it because I really need to get. Uh, Myself on uh, on uh, fifteen here for my home lab, so. Um, but but it's, it's it's not too much trouble. I mean, I, I have had one customer where they signed up for the an education customer. They signed up for an enterprise tenant, and uh, the the config was done by but but by me and uh, another partner who were doing the the Dersync bit and uh, did the basic config, and then uh, the the other partner went to look to pop on some licenses and it, it was enterprise instead of edu and it took us a bit between us about you know no, nothing was in use this was still in the testing phase and it took us i think you know, a morning to tear it down and then connect it to a new tenant uh that was wave 14 but it wouldn't take any longer for a wave 15 um and For those of you still awake, um, <laughs> we, we, I think we're going to move on soon. <laughs> but this is of interest to me because it actually is a big thing, and, and it's not something that's readily known. I think a lot of people are really surprised by this. And again, you know, how many people are in, in hybrid mode? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know what those adoptions are. I've done plenty, well, I, but it's not been tons and tons. But So I don't know how many I people would, this is really affecting. I, I, I would 100% not recommend that someone who was on Wave 14 and had real production mailboxes move people down to move them back up because it's it's just not worth it what what you might get the new features earlier but it, it it's going to cause unnecessary disruption because you some stuff's going to work all right but if it's your if it's your home lab then you don't mind if something's broke so uh, for example uh the way the way i move mine i I have things like my X500 addresses, but something got missed out when it moved over, and uh, a, a few things like the the uh, emails to our contributors DL because that was internal to the org that I was in before, and I've moved that mailbox over. That uh, all my old messages to that, if I try and reply to one of the old messages, it doesn't work because it was all going to the legacy exchange DN, and of course I've left that in the old tenant. Uh, I've not that's still sitting there in the old tenant. I've not moved it to my way 15 tenant. Uh, so you know things th things break. Uh, my mobile worked fine because it was discovering against Office 365 anyway. Um, but weird stuff happened with with Link. Uh, I, I, I think I showed up as a GUID uh, after moving down and well, re-enabling my Link stuff. I had to re-add all my contacts manually to Link uh, Link Online. So it's that there's no reason why you'd do it 
if you were a production customer. But yeah, definitely in the lab, it's not. You, you don't really mind if you lose anything anyway. I mean, I you can if it's only five people, you can just back it up to PST just in case you screw it up. Do you, do you know what I mean? I do indeed. Yeah, Cause that, that's what I did because you know it's my mailbox. That's my mail since the year 2000 uh, or, or maybe even earlier. I don't want to lose any of it, uh, so make sure I've got a PST of it. And then I moved the mailbox down, and I was quite nervous that it was coming down into my lab environment that uh, was actually in hybrid with another tenant. <laughs> so, uh, so there's, there's a, a lot that it that could screw up, but um, it, you know, for playing around, it worked absolutely fine, and. Uh, in terms of connecting tenants to uh, exchange orgs to different tenants, it's if it's just the lab, it's it's not too much of a, a pain. So the amount of times that I've and you've probably done the same, uh, built a, an exchange hybrid environment and connected it to an old tenant uh, that you've used before for hybrid, um, it's it. It's something that uh, that you've probably done before. You, you've reset up the federation, had to create a new federation trust. Uh, so it's it's not completely unheard of to do with the lab. Yeah, yeah uh, no, it's good. That's a good tip, though, because that's 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 one thing that's actually been nagging me. Yeah. So uh, uh, so it's I'm, also it's also one of the reasons why I got all this new capacity because I, I I bought a bunch of extra server capacity so that I can get all these 2013 rules stood up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the moment, you know, I, I moved mine up, and I've got the the hybrid setup, and of course, lab unsupported um, with Exchange 2013 without uh, cumulative update one. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so I've got my hybrid working, and and it's very good. Uh, I I really do like Office 365 Way 15 hybrid a lot, uh, and uh, when a few of the bugs that we talked about with Exchange are fixed in the upcoming updates. You'll like it too. Uh, we've probably talked more than I thought we were going to about it, Office 365. Yeah, right. anyway. <laughs> uh, so let's try not to, to drop any topics. Um, I'll breeze past Exchange Link uh, and Office, well, Exchange Link and Office uh, 365 training. Um, Justin, though, you, you have been on the link ignite um and you can recommend these th these videos can't you uh i haven't personally been on one um Stola has but uh i've i've re uh, delivered some ex uh, ignite content for link in in london and it is uh, quite valuable right okay so uh so we'll have the links to those up on the website and that's the Ignite training for Exchange, Link, and Office 365. All those guides uh, are online, and uh, we'll, we'll pop those on the website. Uh, the the big one, if you're an Exchange fan, is Mech. Uh, April 2014 is the date to put in your diary. Uh, according to Paul Cunningham's blog, he thinks something big might be happening then. We don't know, but uh, they said that they'll next want to, to tell us something and put on another mech when they've got something to say. Uh, so so what could it be? Yeah, I mean, there's really no information other than it's in April 2014. Um, just look, I was doing some looking around to see if there's anything. I mean, uh, the initial release of 4.0 came out, and I don't know the date, but uh, Exchange 4.0 shipped in, in, in April of 1996. So, I mean, April, and then also the 1.0 version of, of, of Exchange shipped in, according to Wikipedia, uh, April 11th, 1993. So of course it would have made 
been cool if they had a 30th year, and it was that 20 or 30, whatever. <laughs> to the 30, 20. 18th sure birthday. That, yeah, but if they would have done it uh, last year, but uh, in April, but uh, so it'll be, you know, uh, so there might be some significance to, to it being in April because of that. I, I mean, obviously, I really don't know. Um, I know I'm stoked. Uh, I, I had a good time last time and I learned a lot. And um, I, for all intents and purposes, will plan to be plan on being there. But yes, yeah, so do I. Uh, I didn't get to go to the the last one, um, but I know I missed out. Uh, so if I've got a choice between the MVP summit uh, and Mech, it'll it'll be Mech for sure uh, because that. Uh, like the Link Conference sounded like a, a really, really good week. And of course, it's something like an MVP summit. You get some really good stuff, but it's not it's, it's not about the whole sort of experience of of the, the networking side of things as well. Uh, so we don't know where it is. Uh, Michael Van Horenbeek has uh, posted a, a link on his Twitter of a poll that he did. And so far, the most popular uh, place where people think it's going to be is Las Vegas. Uh I'm uh, not sure whether it's going to be there, but uh, if it is, then that sounds good. Uh, my vote is on Hawaii. I would like to go there. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> no, I, I vote Chicago because if you're paying yourself, I want it as cheap as possible. <laughs> what about wants to come to Chicago in April? Cause what what about snowing. Detroit? Uh, that that was the place that we were, we were well, saying beforehand. I have, I have that we were one gonna... gun I can bring. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the gun the gun minimum is going to be, but I got always one to bring. <laughs> well, Pat will be there uh, to protect us. <laughs> I think he's probably got enough for all of us. <laughs> uh, so yeah, maybe. Uh, so yeah, that that was where we were going to start the rumor, Detroit. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how I feel about Vegas because I because I I can see I. I see me getting in a lot of trouble in Vegas. I've never been there, so I think it's probably a bad idea. Uh, John not, found lost in desert, returned six weeks after Mech. Yeah, it's, it's going to be like the hangover. <laughs> when I put on Twitter, but I wake up with, uh, with Cookie Link. So, so we're going Vegas, Hawaii, Detroit then, so far. Uh, and that's not uh, in order of preference, obviously. And uh, Jet Stress 2013. Um, th- there's not a lot of guidance around that yet. Um, Sirkan is is our resident uh, Jet Stress expert. He loves that Jet Stress stuff. Woohoo! Yeah, th- thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for pushing me for <laughs> getting now, into that task. <laughs> so. So, so tell us about your experiences so far with Jet Stress 2013. I don't have any experience with Jet Stress 2013. <laughs> <laughs> there you oh, go. That, that's, that's terrible. So it just it, it just came out this week. Oh, it did, yes. Like, I I downloaded it. I ran it. It's just sitting there, and like <laughs> I didn't look too yeah. much on it. It's somewhere in my environment. I don't even remember the machine that I'm running it on, but. <laughs> I'll tell you what I mean, I'm running it on. I'm running it on my Outlook web app server. Oh, nice. Because nice. <laughs> it's a, well, it's, it's never going to have Exchange on it, is it? And I'm not building a virtual machine just for it. But yeah, so I've had a play with it. It's, it's quite good. Uh, yeah, well, well, my first thought was like, is this 2013 or is this 2010? Like, yes. the interface is like the same kind of thing. So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know yet. If you guys have any experience on it, 
share it. <laughs> but we'll probably have more details on it when the field guide comes out. And, yes. Know. So the, the field guide is, is the thing that, uh, that that matters. And of course, uh, without the, the real sizing guidance for Exchange 2013, uh, yeah, exactly. you're running it, but <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it fine or not? <laughs> Well, it runs. <laughs> yeah. So I'll I'll see what it does against my SSDs. You know, probably absolutely fine. Um, but there, there are some some new features in it. So it's got a. It, the one good thing is it's not a web-based GUI. So if uh, if you're not a fan of the AAC, uh, then you'll be pleased to know it's still that same sort of best practices analyzer style format. Uh, as Sirkin says, it looks just the same, except it says 2013 at the top. Uh, but it does have some stuff, some extra options, so uh, JetStress can continue to run even if a disk fails. So if you're doing JBOD uh, storage burning, then you've got a, a button there to allow it to continue. Uh, and there's there's improved reports as well. So the reports, well, what comes out the other end uh, is, is a little bit better. So there's a, a few extra options there. So uh, one, one, one thing that is noticeable is, is lost flush detection. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I know it does it. <laughs> Uh, but I will do a bit more research for it. Uh, but yeah, as, as you know, it's, it's only literally came out uh, a couple of days ago. So no real experience with it, no guidance for it yet, um, and, and nothing to, to benchmark it against. But it's one of these tools where the Exchange team aren't throwing 20 tools on us all in one go. Uh, we, we have a, a little bit more time to, to have a look at these things as they come out, uh, get a bit of experience with it, and, and get to understand it before uh, we have to, to apply it in real life. Yeah, I just wanted to add a small thing, Steve, if uh, yeah. you will allow me. Of course, so I, go right ahead. Yeah, I did, I did have a, a run with it to see uh, what's new uh, in it, but uh, after installing, I noticed it installs a program folder called uh, exchange yet stress 2010 so don't adjust your monitors I think <laughs> somebody made a typo if you if you start it up it is just as 2013 so yeah okay well that's interesting <laughs> uh, so so it but it is definitely a different tool is it, it is a different tool uh, uh, there are some new features in the, uh, there uh, which you'll probably mention on the the blog which uh, goes along with this post Yes. Um, and also, there's a, an, uh, an option to uh, continue uh, after a disk failure or something, and that may happen. For example, we had a customer who wanted to do yet stress, and somebody at the storage uh, department decided to uh, yeah, to do something on the on the sun, and after that, our uh, yet stress uh, didn't have uh, lunes anymore. So. That would be a nice uh, point to pick up uh, recreating those initial databases because that takes a lot of time, as you probably know. And uh, yeah, so in that case, that was lost time. But uh, with the new tool, I assume we can just continue from the point uh, it failed. Well, I, uh, I, as I say, I haven't got a lot of experience with it yet. My assumption was uh, that once it's created the DBs, it's sort of aimed at a JBOD type of scenario. So say you've got 20 disks and you're doing a jet stress across all of them uh, for four days and one of the disks fails, then it's not just going to bomb out. Yeah, that's also... Uh, uh, so that, so that, that's where I think it would be useful. But yeah, it's, it's a lengthy operation. So having some... Uh, let's say recovery options or yeah. going to continue uh, everything. It's, it's nice. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it, 
it's, it's obvious from the tool that it is it's more than just uh, changing the name and letting it use 2013 DLLs. It's got new features in it as well, despite installing into uh, JetStress 2010 folder. Uh, but uh, but yes, yeah, so that that's out there, and uh, hopefully that means that uh, when everything else comes around, that'll be a, a, a tool that's waiting in the wings. Uh, and and talking real tools, we've. <laughs> We have we have got quite a few actually exchange ones. So there's the exchange deployment assistant, um, yeah. and uh, Michelle, have you had a play with that yet? <laughs> I had a quick look. Yeah, um, so I just kind of went through real quick as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. The the 20, uh, 2010 uh, it's uh, uh, fit for the for the new uh, Office 365 wave. Uh, but like most people, I had a quick look at the 2013 uh, deployment uh, assistant, and yeah, I was a bit disappointed, but it was also a bit expected that the coexistence uh, elements were not uh, were not in there yet. So it was just a greenfield deployment, then it's fine. You can use it to create a quick checklist. Um, you can only print the checklist. Uh, the other, or let's say, old deployment assistant had the opportunity to create a PDF from the checklist so you can print it out and for some people that may be more uh, suited. But do, you, do you think it's in its current form it's something you would recommend to to on your blog as the first stab at uh, planning exchange 2013? Um, if you have no clue what to do it may be it may have some good pointers on where to start Start out with a with a quick checklist like the uh, the old uh, 2010 uh, deployment assistant, and from there you can work your way up to the deployment. But as said, the 2013 doesn't have coexistence elements in there yet. So, well, the the 2013 tool is I, I think it's pretty good. Uh, but the, if you didn't know anything about Exchange, then I think it could be a bit scary when you first go into it. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, for example, if, if I look at the 2013 Deployment Assistant, uh, when you go to that website, you get the three options, on-premises, hybrid, cloud only. Well, that's simple enough, isn't it? Uh, so you, you pick on-premises and, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to set up a new Active Directory Forest, you know, absolutely fine. Um, and then the first question is, are you planning to install the client access mailbox server roles on the same or a different server? I don't know. It, it, uh, isn't this guide supposed to help me decide that? And the second question: Are you running a disjointed namespace? Well, that if you if it is a a, a beginner's guide, that's not a good second question, especially after the first one. So uh, I can see a lot of people who who, who this guide is aimed at thinking, hmm, um, I, I don't know the answer to the questions. Uh, and if that, so perhaps, uh, perhaps that a little bit more guidance on what the question is aiming at, and a little bit more suggestions on what you might want to do. So if uh, if you've never deployed Exchange before, and it's your first go with Active Directory, you've just set all this up, and you're like, mm, this guide looks like it will will be absolutely fantastic for my needs. You start off with it. Uh, perhaps it should suggest you use multi-role servers. Perhaps it might suggest that you don't try and use a disjointed namespace for your greenfield environment. Rick servers uh, rule. <laughs> or they might have an option like maybe, yes, no, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these things are supposed to be like a choose-your-own-adventure. But uh, you, you don't want to be guided down the wrong path. You, you want some... It's supposed to guide you through. And rather than just giving you a, a checklist. Because if you already know all this, what do you need the tool for? Uh, you, you could just go on Tetna. Uh, but I suppose the other side is it's going to improve this is the the first version and uh, hopefully they'll they'll take any sort of feedback like that uh that there is a a link i think to to provide feedback on that tool as well uh, yeah, but, if you've got any of your own yeah but steve isn't it supposed to is it, it you can assume that the person who um would use the tool knows what the disjoint namespace is the, the more the use it's a tech tool it's not a management uh, Wizard. Uh. Uh, well, I, I, I don't. I think that if, if people knew all these things, because how, how often do some people do exchange? You know, once every five, six years, uh, and then they go back to being expert at everything else. Uh, they, they don't necessarily. Uh, the, the people that might use this tool, I think, will learn about what they need to about exchange when they come to deploy it. Uh, so they they might be administering SQL Server the, the rest of the time. They they might not know a lot of these terms. Uh, you, you know, if you yeah. think of the, the small sort of organisation that that might use this tool in, in lieu of a, a consultant, uh, the, the, this the, these tools I think uh, I thought the the 2010 tool was very very good, uh, and uh, I think this tool is going to be great as well. But uh, I think it needs a, a little bit more work. Yeah, yeah I mean, they evolve these over time too. So I mean, I would expect there's going to be updates. Yeah. Well, yes, uh, and and that's what we've got with the 2010 tool. We've got the update pretty much straight away for for Service Pack 3. Great guidance, and it's all up to date. It's all fresh. Uh, it, it it will be good if they can give some of that guidance back out if you're still on a Wave 14 tenant because uh, from having a quick look, it looks like it's all aimed at if you've got Service Pack 3 and a brand new Office 365 tenant. But I, uh, then again, if you're just starting to, to plan, then uh, maybe you, you can start again with a, a fresh tenant uh, because you won't have done it yet. So, uh, but yes, the, the 2010 one is definitely the benchmark that I'm, I'm judging the 2013 one against. Our next tool uh, on, on the Exchange side of things is uh, the PST Catcher Tool version 2. Uh, if you've ever used this, uh, it's... Uh, a tool that allows you to deploy agents to PCs, um, search and discover, and then suck those PSTs into Exchange or Exchange Online. Uh, so if you are implementing archiving, then you could use this tool to uh, discover PSTs on your users' desktops, look at who they belong to, and then coordinate sticking them into to archive uh, personal archives. Uh, has anyone used the version 1 tool in, in any deployments? Yeah, I have. Uh, uh, so uh, the the improvements we've got uh, around user limits, performance, and obviously Exchange 2013 support, but the, the performance and, and user limits, uh, do, do you think that those would have made a, a difference in, in work that you've done in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, at the times I've used it, it's worked out as, 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 as planned. Um, I think it's useful. Um, I don't know how much opinion I have about it. 
that I suppose that that's a compliment or something where we don't have anything bad to say about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I, I found it useful. Uh, it, the reporting capabilities are good too. That that's the one thing I I think I, we use more than the actual tool itself is like saying here 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 you know, here's here's how many PSDs I found you know kind of thing and the ability to go there and scan. I mean, I think the one downside is pushing the agent. A lot of companies you know don't like having to push an agent on their machines you know um, for for single task kind of stuff. Well, that's one objective uh, objection I've seen. Um, heard. But yeah, the, the, the original software, if you've not heard of it, was originally PST Importer from Redgate. So the version one wasn't really a, a version one product anyway. It was a, a it was a, a developed product that they they bought in. So so version two is is only going to be even better. So uh, uh, interesting release and uh, perfectly timed uh, for its 2013 support. Uh, our penultimate topic of the day. Um, if uh, if Michelle is, is still with us, Michelle, uh, is scripting. So we've had one link lab deployment script, and now here's one that uh, is, is more aimed at production environments as well, isn't it, Michelle? Yeah, it's more aimed for, for uh, regularly, regular use, but they also use it uh, for lab environments, so it's suited for both. So uh, it was more uh, born out of uh, own personal... Uh, uh, needs, uh, yeah, because I had to install several uh, 2013 boxes at some point, and so after two times I got bored with it. So. so, so what does it do? What's the the core of the tool? Its yeah, main purpose. Uh, the main purpose is that you execute uh, when running in, in fully automated mode. Uh, you execute a single commandlet. And after that, you go take a coffee or whatever. And after <laughs> minutes, a few minutes and a few reboots. Um, yeah, the server is up and running um, according to, uh, let's say, initial specs, and then you can add your own uh, post configuration manually, or you put those commandlets in there as well. So, so can can you feed it a design document and, and let it go off and do the job for you? That's that's version seven. <laughs> <laughs> Currently at version one, so. <laughs> so that, that sounds really good. Um, you, you're going to be very busy then uh, in the future, Michelle. I think. Uh, are you going to be doing uh, uh, one whole deployment from start to finish a day? What do you mean? Uh, where, when you're consulting, are you going to be doing the whole deployment in a day and uh, straight in and out, just bang it all in? Right. It's not good for day. billables. You know, you got <laughs> no. to I mean, drag that bad boy out. No. I, 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 oh, I, yeah. I, you, I, need, you need to. You need to add the pause command in there. That's the whole thing about online mailbox moves. You know, you know how much money online mailbox moves cost me? And you know, it needs to be, oh, yeah, I'll move mail all night if you pay me. You know, all weekend, too. Well, well, the, the problem I have is that I, I'm too busy. Uh, you know, I, I'm in demand, thankfully. So it's all like this is good because uh, automation yeah. stuff it helps everyone, really, doesn't it? Because it, it, it can, can, you can uh, do more business. Uh, and you've got a better chance of, of winning work if you're able to do it quicker than anybody else. Yeah, and I'm still planning on doing a 2008 R2 uh, OS-based version of it. Oh, um, nice. that, that's well, where it will really come in handy then. I don't know. Yeah. Isn't everyone on 2012 yet? Well, no, but you... you Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But no, what, what I'm saying is that the, the prerequisites uh, are, 
aren't as straightforward <laughs> as Windows Server 2012. No. And like you said, yeah, of course it's possible to feed it in XML where everything is in there uh, regarding configuration, but um, yeah, making this robust as possible takes a lot of time and work. And yeah. luckily at that time I had some slack to uh, create this actually. So, uh, yeah. And I had lots of, lots of feedback on it, which I'm going to uh, process as well in the, for the next intermediate release. The, I have no time yet, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it sounds very good. So I've not tried it yet, but I think I'll do. I'll use that for my next uh, single lab server build uh, to add to my Exchange 2013 environment. Uh, I think uh, maybe when a cumulative update one finally comes out, which uh, supposedly should be in just a few weeks, it's scheduled for the end of Q1, then uh, th this will be the script that I'm going to test it against. Yeah, I got uh, feedback from one of our biggest fans, I believe, is that the uh, Hakim Toisi uh, guy. Yeah. Where you actually used it and posted some screen for screenshots uh, saying it worked, but I didn't expect anything else. But it's always <laughs> nice It's always nice uh, helping people like that. Uh, well, uh, well, a script from you, Michelle, is, is a script to... Uh, to, to enjoy because uh, you, you're not like a, a lot of us in that you, you come from a software development background anyway, don't you? Yeah, sorry. So uh, so we... It wasn't on the agenda. I, I won, uh, won sort of won uh, uh, an award last week by the Tech, tech Target uh, Yes, guys. of course, yes. I'm sorry for not putting it on the list. That should have been right at the top. I'm being humble, so... Yeah. <laughs> but no, yes, I, I apologize. We have no memory, me. so you might have to nudge us. <laughs> apologies for me for not mentioning it before. Uh, yeah, yes, so you are an award winner. You are Exchange Pro of the Month. Yeah, apparently some people were happy with the community work. So uh, I think a lot of people should be. You, your name is, is, is mentioned a, a lot uh, when I'm talking to Exchange about other people. Uh, Michelle is, is you know, someone who uh, definitely deserves awards like that. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, oh, I'm being serious. Uh, bec because uh, a lot of the times the scripts on on your blog are, are very useful. So if you if you don't if you haven't spent a lot of time looking through Michelle's scripts, you should do because there's some, some really good stuff there. Uh, and this is just uh, the, the latest in a long line of, of great scripts that you've done. Uh, so thank you for that and sharing it with the community. Okay, welcome. <laughs> and uh, and uh, on our next uh, programming genius today is is Sir Ken. Our next nerd up on the show. That's why I left. Uh, yeah. So. He's <laughs> <laughs> the, the one programming on the beach. I'm the one programming in the rain. <laughs> I always call that sanded. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so th this isn't a script though. This is uh, th this is replacing s some of the bits that are missing in 2013 in one way uh, and building a, a whole new GUI. Uh, so, but you haven't written this just on your own, have you, sir? Can uh, t tell us a little no, bit more no. about your exchange reports? Uh, yeah, it's not my exchange reports actually. It's uh, the project started with uh, an idea from a messaging PFE Gökhan Özdemir, and he is the uh, guy actually who wrote 99% of the code. I can say uh, we have been working on it. Actually, we had the idea for a while, and we've been working on it for the last six months. Actually, he was working hard on it. I was just helping him. Uh, this week we published the beta version. 
for exchange reports on Codeplex. We also have a website for it at the moment, but we are mainly using Codeplex for uh, getting the code out there. Uh, it is a reporting tool for Exchange 2010 or 2013 environments. Uh, we are working a bit on Office 365 as well. We are planning to uh, put Office 365 support into it soon. Uh, I don't know how long it will take, but... Uh, I'm going to use that inside information to update my report then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sounds like you're my biggest competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we, we are not doing it for competition or anything. It's a great tool. Competition is good. Competition yeah. Because uh, this is You great. know, we are going to steal a lot of ideas from you, so... Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. That's, that's... No, but but we, we'll always give credit, so <laughs> that's not it. Yeah. We all we already gave credit to one of the testers uh, on the last version. Uh, you can see it on Codeplex. He, he helped us testing it on a multiple domains in a single forest environment to get the information from all domains. Uh, the tool actually does not require any PowerShell knowledge or any installation. You just download it, copy it to a directory, and run it. Uh, the latest version is beta 0.72 at the moment, which we added exporting to Excel. So with one click, you can export all your group information to uh, Excel or any mailbox information or all mailboxes at the same time. Uh, currently, we have four major report categories in it, which are distribution groups uh, for. It will report every single group that you have in your environment. Uh, single distribution group, you can also get the full distribution group report and drill down to a single group and get more information on it. Uh, you can get all your mailboxes. You can get a single mailbox as well. Also, we added a message tracking interface, which works for both Exchange 2000 and 2013. Uh, as you know, on 2013, uh, we don't have the capability of doing it through the GUI. And every report has its own filters in it. So you can easily filter out when you get the report. Uh, so for example, on so distribution groups. So if someone yeah, missed that, we should just make sure that, that that's uh, that's definitely mentioned. The message tracking. So that that's the key thing that a lot of people might start off with your tool for, uh, because it gives you that GUI for message tracking in 2013 that doesn't exist elsewhere. That's now gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and another thing is you can choose multiple servers. That's a great idea. You, you can just Clicked because when you run the message tracking, it will automatically bring your uh, service that has the transport capability. So you will see on 2013 all the servers out there, and you can just click the, choose them, your mailbox servers, and it you can choose which servers you're gonna query for, and it will automatically bring those up for you. Uh, that's a good part of it. I mean, that's what everyone liked uh, mostly. Uh, but we are mo majorly working on getting the reports out because uh, the idea is we added uh, filters to it. And for example, for distribution groups in a large environment, it's always painful to find like empty groups or groups which did not receive any messages for last X days. You can choose those from the menu and like and click and get a report for it easily. And by the help of the filters, uh, it's like after getting the whole group information, it's instant. You just click and find, for example, hidden groups from the address list. No sorting needed or anything. It will just bring it to you. Uh, the best part I love 
I'm using it on my clients mostly, is membership information. For example, if you have a nested uh, distribution group, you can go and open up the single group report for that distribution group, and you can get the whole nested information, and it will show you if you have duplicate users coming from different groups, and it will tell you which groups they are coming from, uh, so you can, you know, filter it out, clean it out, whatever you want to do. I don't know if you guys had a chance to try it. Uh, I would love to hear your comments and everyone listening to this episode. So if anyone has comments listening to us, uh, don't hesitate to go to export exchangereports.codeplex.com and create a discussion there with your requests or complaints, whatever you want to do. Yeah, one thing you were saying before the show was you want to get people to give you their suggestions, feedback, bugs. Yeah, this, is, for, this is something you want a living project. Yeah, because the main reason is, well, we, only two people are working on it, right? And we have a ongoing jobs at the moment, so we don't concentrate 99% on it. So uh, this is a free tool. We are not selling it or anything. This is just to help everyone out there who is using Exchange, managing Exchange. So if people start using it and give us feedbacks like, okay, we want this report, we want this report in there. This is what we are looking for, but we couldn't find a tool to do it. Uh, so we'll just add those, we'll, we'll keep improving it. Uh, one thing is not, one thing that we are not going to do, definitely, at the moment, is not adding support for legacy systems, like 2007 or 2003. We are not going to put in support for those yet, and I don't think we'll ever put those in any way. I would say for <laughs> 2003, I wouldn't worry about Yeah, 2003 or 2007, we, we, we are not worried about those at the moment. Uh, we are mainly doing it for 2010 or 2013. Yeah, I can give you a real life example. I did the same distribution group report for my client. It took me around two days to get all those scripts running and getting the output and copying it and pasting it to Excel and creating a nice format for it. And I did. we did implement the same queries and we did implement the same filters to the tool and it's just taking me now like six minutes to get that report and send it to the client and I'm still billing them the same hours so <laughs> no I'm just kidding I'm just kidding I, 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 I already showed it to the client so it's not true yeah. and they, they, they love the tool and if they you're know anything like me then you, you'll th then you'll give the tool to the client and go, well, you don't need me. Here, use that tool. Yeah, that, that, that's what we did. Like, that's what I did anyway. And that's what the aim is here. <clears throat> it's to help everyone to get reports. And if you go to the website, uh, the Codeplex site, you'll see that uh, I think his name was Jerry. I would like to thank Mir as well. Uh, he did test it in his environments and he did send us direct emails and gave us a lot of feedback on the tool, uh, which made us change a lot of functions and so that's that's how the tool will get better anyway. And Tony Redmond wrote an article about it asking everyone to, you know, help us a bit. <laughs> All we need <laughs> is if you can run it in your environment, give us feedback. Even if you don't like it, just say it's crap. Uh, we'll appreciate that as well. So you uh, want the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah. Oh, we want everything. Because yeah. the main reason is we want to make it work so it will help everyone. So at least it's, it will be a good tool 
that we can keep working on it. If no one if no one uses it or gives feedback or requests anything, I don't think we can go too much far ahead. Uh, so that sounds like a really interesting project then. Uh, and yeah, again, if you want to download it, that's exchangereports.get-mailbox.org. Uh, so no install, no PowerShell knowledge required, and it does all sorts of things, including Exchange 2013 message tracking. So th thank you very much, Sir Ken. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoy that tool. Uh, and that's that's about it for the show today. Uh, it's uh, been a, a longer Why show so than you. Why so short? <laughs> Yes. Uh, was that three hours that we've been going so far? Uh, but so thank you very much to, to everyone that's joined me today. And uh, thanks to Michelle, Justin, Sirkan, Tim, Starley, who just couldn't hack it and has, has left us already. He's fallen asleep. <laughs> and of course, John. Uh, the show's editor this week is Joanne uh, for his second time editing here this is the last episode in the end uh, that, that pat did and he's going to be editing this one as well so hopefully he doesn't have too much of a hard time uh, and we want to remind you that the uc architects are online so visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com if you've got any ideas for topics we can talk about in future shows tell us you'll find us on twitter at the uc architects on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects and of course on LinkedIn in our own special the UC Architects group podcast episodes are available in the iTunes store the Zoom market space and of course in your favourite RSS client uh, so see our website for links to everything you've heard about on the show today uh, they're all up there and we'll see you back for the next episode in a couple of weeks time with Pat Hosting thanks for listening goodbye <laughs>